Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Lars is not likely to go anywhere at all unless the Cardinals are just overwhelmed. Um, you know, they got a lot of interest in him this winter. They they really continue to get a lot of interest for a, a lot of reasons. I mean, everybody sees in the metrics and in the performance and the versatility and in the profile, let's be honest, um, in kind of his global profile. Um, everybody see, the Cardinals see what everybody else sees and they are going to hold on to him. They, they like him, Edmund. These are guys that they want to continue to be a part of their team moving forward. That was Derek Gould, Cardinals beat writer for the Post-Dispatch, who was on foul territory talking about the Cardinals untouchable, if you want to call it that. And, of course, talking trade deadline. And Lars Newbar name was brought up, as you heard there, on the cut. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, and this is where we're at as we enter the unofficial second half of the season. We enter the trade deadline conversations, and now you start picking names from the crop that the Cardinals have. And the first one that is officially underway is Lars Newtbar, at least from Derek Gould's perspective and reporting, and untouchable for the Cardinals. And it's hard for me to believe that he's untouchable because you could trade anybody, especially if the right person's going to come along. I'll trade the guy. We talked earlier this week about Jordan Walker. If somebody calls, probably consider it, but it's got to be the right piece. To hear Derek frame it that way, T-Bone, I was a little taken aback because the situation you find yourself in right now is because nobody has taken the outfield position and said, yep, I'm an outfielder for 2024. Nobody has implemented themselves as a cornerstone piece in your roster. Greg Amzinger said such thing on opening drive yesterday. And for how bad you are on the pitching side of things, I would imagine you're open for discussion on every single player. But because of the deficiency in the outfield, because of the uncertainty in the outfield, and really what you don't have in your minor league system, it makes sense that the Cardinals are viewing Lars Newtbar as the main piece that they don't want to start conversations with. See, I, I would be open to having Newtbar in those conversations. Well, you hate Lars Newtbar. I don't hate Lars Newtbar, okay, but I you think he's... Strongly di- I think you vehemently he's disagree mis- with I, Lars Newtbar. I think he's being misevaluated by the St. Louis Cardinals. Lars Newtbar, great personality, great in the locker room, sure a fantastic human being. But I think the Cardinals are misevaluating Lars Newtbar and his potential. Like, I, I'm not saying I would trade him for, like, a reliever, but... It, if it was a conversation of like a controllable young starter, 
his name should be in those conversations. The way that Derek Gould made it sound was he's not a untouchable. It's more of if we're going to go get an ace, maybe his name's involved. And yeah. I, I just don't agree with it being that high of a bar for this a large was, new bar. This was the quote. Sorry, T-Bone. I should have said this at the beginning of it. Quote from Derek Gould. They do not wish to divest themselves of their core. And already at least two teams have been told the Cardinals are not interested in trading large new bar or Jordan Walker. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not saying you trade him for nothing like a bag of baseballs in a reliever. No, it would have to be a significant return that you're getting, like an ace or a cost-controllable pitcher that's got the upside of being a number two or a 1B. But his name shouldn't be just knocked out of trade conversation, in my opinion. And I can understand where the Cardinals are coming from and saying, look, we see the profile, the batting profile, and we say this is the guy that's got the potential to be a star. Problem was, he said that last year, and it hasn't taken off yet. And, and that's my biggest thing, is his numbers are okay. He's getting on base at a really good clip. He is a left-handed batter hitting 259. He's not slugging. His power is not translating. And all those underlying metrics that the Cardinals like to point at with Lars Newtbar, last year it made sense. You know, 90th in average exit velocity percentile, 80th last year in hard hit percentage in the percentile on baseball savant. This year, most of his numbers have taken a drop back, which is a little concerning for them kind of coming out and saying, oh, look at his batter profile. Look at this. Look at that. This is why he translates to be this player for us. He's not. I. He hasn't taken that step. He's 4% above league average right now this season. And maybe he has a hot second half and changes my opinion of him. But I don't think Lars Newpar is a guy that the Cardinals should say he is a untouchable. We are not moving him at all you don't have to call us about him he shouldn't be in the same ilk as a jordan walker that was my part when i saw the names next to each other of jordan walker and lars Newpar, i'm like okay this is where you lost me because they're not in the same conversation if jordan walker paul goldschmidt nolan are nolan are not or in the same conversation that makes sense lars Newpar to me isn't there yet he's that fringe player now i will say if you look at the crop of your outfield you know jordan walker is going to be one of them I don't know what the other two are going to be. Not going to be Tyler O'Neill. I highly don't expect that. Dylan Carlson is kind of in the same boat as Lars Newtbar. And then you've got the Tommy Edmond side of things. And we'll talk about Tommy Edmond a little bit later. But that's it. So somebody's going to have to be there because this Cardinals team is not going out this offseason and finding two outfielders on top of fixing three spots in your rotation and overhauling a bullpen. That's too much for this team to try and accomplish in one offseason. So one of those guys has to stick. And then it comes down to a Newt Bar or a Carlson. And you can have your pick of the litter. I understand people say, well, Carlson, you can't trade him because he's young. Understandable. It's only a year younger than Lars Newpar. And Lars Newpar is just kind of in this same unknown as Dylan Carlson. Here's my problem, though, T-Bone. And, and I think it's more big picture than it is just Lars Newpar, but we're, we're isolating Lars Newpar here. You are not a team that has the ability to say this, this player is untouchable because you faltered so many seasons in terms of not being able to win a playoff series. And I know getting into the playoffs is an accomplishment. Great. But now you're really not capturing that. And he's a part of your core. So yeah, I really don't want to trade Lars Nupar. And maybe that's what Derek Gould's reporting on saying like, look, we don't want to start the conversations with Lars Nupar. If it gets to the point where Lars comes in fine, but there's no way that this team that is massively underperforming can go into this offseason saying, nope, we can't move this guy. 
unless his name is Arenado, Goldschmidt, or Jordan Walker. Agreed. And I think those are the three guys that just can't be moved. And now, and look, I think players can be in like that second tier. And I think it's fair to put Newpar in that second tier of, okay, if the right offer comes, we would be willing to move on from a Newpar or a Tink Hintz or a Mason Wynn. Like, I'm not saying that you're giving up new bar for little in return. No, it's got to be a high price return. But if the Seattle Mariners came calling and the name that the Cardinals were connected to was, uh, who was it? Logan Gilbreath, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or George Kirby, if the Mariners were willing to part with him and they said, all right, we're willing to part with this pitcher. What are you willing to give up? And they said, we'll give you Nolan Gorman. They said, ah, you know, we'd re- really rather have Lars new bar. The Cardinals can't walk away from the table and go, oh, no, sorry. It's just not us. You know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go in on that. We, we really like Lars Newbar. This is the puke point for the Cardinals where they potentially may be fielding offers. And if it is like prospects that teams are offering up for Newbar, yeah, no way in hell. But if they are offering up a cost control of a pitcher that has upside as a two, yes, the Cardinals should be open to moving on from Lars Newbar. And again, this is not a personal attack on Lars Newbar. This is me looking at his numbers and going, okay, I still haven't seen him take that step that the Cardinals were preaching about. And look, maybe I'm giving up too early. Maybe I'm about to make the same mistake that the Cardinals did and giving up on a Rosarena and Garcia. But I just haven't seen the steps to where I look at him and go, he's not a superstar or a player that I think is developing into a great baseball player. And the Cardinals seem to be holding on to him like he's great. They need to be open to moving him because I think they could be potentially selling high on him. And in a year or two, we could be having conversations that they kept Newt Bar and could be saying, man, they missed their opportunity to sell on him like they missed their opportunity on O'Neill and on Carlson. Maybe, but I also could look at the other side of that coin and say that they sell Lars Newt Bar and keep Dylan Carlson and Lars Newt Bar goes off on another team. Or they sell Dylan Carlson and keep Lars Newt Bar and Dylan Carlson goes off with the other team. But that's where you're going to have to get to. That's why we always talk about this team's ability to evaluate their internal talent to find out what they truly have because you don't want those players to go away like a Rosarena and Garcia and Gallen and talk about opportunities that the new team provided to them. And I don't think I can say that for Dylan Carlson. He's gotten a lot of opportunities since he's been here, and you kind of know what he's in. He's little, he's that fringe under 100 OPS plus. And Lars Nupar, at least in two short seasons, is either highly above it or he's right below it, and that's where he's at right now, and that's where he's at at the first season. See, I think it's fair to say he can still still deserve some opportunity because he's not even at 1,000 plate appearances yet, but I just don't want to rule him out as a guy that you can't move yet because I, to me, that is just saying too much for a team, to your point earlier, of, yeah, we've got to make changes. We've got to change our philosophy, and then all of a sudden starting to rule out more and more players. Like It sounds like Tommy Edmonds not going to be a trade chip for the St. Louis Cardinals either. I, I don't know. To to me, I would be more willing to take a risk on moving a Lars Newpar, a Nolan Gorman, a Dylan Carlson. you got to be risky right now if you're the St. Louis Cardinals and get to that puke point to try and improve this team as quick as they want there's to. A, there's a core right now of guys that I just cannot look at and say I can't trade them. And it's Lars Newpar, it's Dylan Carlson, it's Tommy Edmond, it's Brennan Donovan. And this is the part that kind of surprised me, T-Bone. It's Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman was not in the piece of Derek Gould, nor was it in his conversation with foul territory of guys that the Cardinals aren't willing to listen on. Now, maybe it's because teams aren't calling about Nolan Gorman because they know he's untouchable. But if you're calling about Jordan Walker, you're calling about Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman has had a really good season. He has showcased everything we knew about him with the power. 
But Nolan Gorman has had his roller coaster season too, where he's gone quiet for multiple weeks and he's been red hot for multiple weeks. But if the only pieces that Derek Gould mentioned were Arenado and Goldie, the core pieces, Walker and Newbar, that might make Nolan Gorman the top trade candidate that this deadline or in the offseason. And I'll be honest, it sucks to have that conversation because he's the left-handed power bat that we talked so much about. And frankly, he's been viewed as a top prospect. But once again, welcome to your puke point. And if some team, whether it's Seattle for Logan Gilbert or if it's the Yankees or the Dodgers with their prospects, all teams that have been tied to the Cardinals, at least in Derek Gould's piece and in the rumors... I'm going to have to listen on that. Just like I'm going to have to listen on Lars Newbart. Yeah, it's going to suck to give up my left-handed power bat. But welcome to the ball club, Alec Burleson. You get to be that if Nolan Gorman gets traded. And I just upgraded my pitching staff. Yeah, I, I think right now if, if these reports are true, how the Cardinals are thinking, and I don't question Derek Gould's reporting at all, then I think Gorman is that top trade chip for them on the big league roster. I, I think when you look at Nolan Gorman, it's easy to see how teams could be interested in him. A guy that has potential to be 30, 40 home run hitter could potentially develop into being a, maybe not Kyle Schwarber, but a version of Kyle Schwarber, I would say, with his pure power from the left side. And the Cardinals can look at it and say, okay, well, we really like this tandem of Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan at the top of our lineup with their on base, kind of like what they wanted to do when they had uh, Carpenter and Fowler, kind of the theory of that, not how it ended up working out. But I I think that it's easy for them to go, Okay, if we trade Newt Barr, it's tougher to find his replacement. So I can understand where they can come on that side of things. But again, I don't think that makes him untouchable. With Gorman, I think they can go, okay, yeah, we really like Nolan Gorman, but we've seen him struggle again this season. Let's sell high on him because he's got great potential, and teams will look at him and go, man, left-handed pure power hitter. Anybody wants one of those in Major League Baseball. And you sell him, and then you can get Brendan Donovan to be your second baseman, everyday second baseman next year. So I can see where they look at Gorman and go, He's our top trade chip. With that being said, I still think like guys like Newbar should be in that conversation. Brendan Donovan will be interesting to see how the Cardinals value him. Same with Tommy Edmond, though it does sound like they're not expecting to move Tommy Edmond. Uh, but I, I do think Nolan Gorman, with this report, you can kind of circle him now as the unofficial official number one trade chip for the St. Louis Cardinals going into the deadline. I'll leave it at this. You don't have the luxury. You've been bad this season to sit here and say, well, we can't trade all of these pieces. Everybody should be on the table with within reason of the Jordan Walkers and the Goldschmidt's and Arenado because you are wanting to compete. But as soon as you start picking guys off of the table and telling teams, no, he's not available. Now you're only coming to the point where you're willing to trade your bad assets and you're not upgrading your pitching staff or your areas of weakness by the bad assets that you don't want. You're going to have to start giving up pieces that are going to be uncomfortable for you. Welcome to being bad in a season and having to find a way to retool. We'll talk about that retool and who we believe is faster to get out of it, whether it's Doug Armstrong and the Blues or John Mozeliak and the Cardinals. So send us your mic drops on that. Also, you can join us on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL. Just click on the BK and Ferrario link. We've got Keith Law talking Cardinals prospects and deadline coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Curbs was talking with Tim Taylor earlier on the balloon party, and Tim Taylor talked about Cairo and Thomas needing to take that next step. Are they ready to do that? And what does that next step look like? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Hi, Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Happy to have you with us on this Friday, our YouTube channel live at 101 ESPN STL. Just click on that BK and Ferrario link. Of course, our Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. So Tim Taylor, a director of Blues Player Development, was on with Curbs uh, filling in on the Bloom Party earlier today. If you missed it, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And Tim Taylor was talking just about the state of the NHL and the salary caps and how it's going younger. And you bring younger players along faster because the cap is forcing you to do that. Look at the Arizona Coyotes. Look at what Nashville's going to be doing. Teams are taking the rebuilding route and bringing in younger players so that they're cheaper and you don't have to spend to the salary cap. Tim Taylor referenced Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane in terms of Chicago. They were rebuilding. They brought those two in. They started them at the NHL, and you built around them. Now, we, we could get both in free agency right now if we wanted. You're, you're, you know what? That is a smart thing to say. And you could probably get them both for less than $10 million, which yeah. each were making at AAV in Chicago. Yeah. Now, this is how you make yourself a Stanley Cup champion. Now, they are old and broken. Well, Patrick Kane says he doesn't feel old. Well, Jonathan Taves feels old. I'm sure he does yeah. after how his last couple of years well. have gone. Regardless, what they did is different because that was in 2006, and that was the first and third overall draft pick. The Blues don't have that, but they do have two players that they're trying to do the same process with, and that's Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Growing them with the system, bringing them along, and making them the faces of the franchise. You're young, and you're hoping that the youth can capitalize while everybody hits at the right age frame. The question, though, for the Blues is, are they ready to take that next step? We thought that Robert Thomas was two years ago uh, for how he performed that season that he put up, what was it, 50, 60 assists, and we thought that this guy could hone in on a 100-point season. Well, last year was a disappointment for Robert Thomas, especially once Ryan O'Reilly didn't work out and Barbashev was traded away. That's when Thomas didn't shine. And then you get to the Jordan Cairo aspect. On the offensive side, absolutely is flourishing. Looks like a 40-goal score. On the defensive side, needs work to be done. But when you ask the question, can they take that next step with this organization in terms of putting them back into the playoffs, my answer to that is, is the maturity level there. Because that's what Doug Armstrong talks about. And it's not so much, are they mature individuals? That is, that's certain. You're not a pro if you're not. But do they have that playoff maturity? Do they have that in-game maturity that can take you to that next level? And I think that's why this season is so massive for Doug Armstrong in this retool. Because if they don't, one, you're stuck with them because you gave them that contract. And two, it's going to slow your process compared to what you thought it was going to be if they don't take that next step. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at them for Thomas, one, it is kind of becoming more of that number one center that you thought he was going to be. I, I think he's always going to be a guy that can put up points, but there's a difference between putting up points and showing that you're a number one centerman. Number one centerman can play a 200-foot game, go out there and win key faceoffs, and the whole reason that we kind of speculated O'Reilly would be gone at the beginning of last season was because you had Thomas waiting in the wings to take over as that number one centerman on a potential shutdown line. So he's going to have to take those steps. And then for Kyrie, it is just the defensive purposes. I mean, he, offensively, you know he's always going to be a goal scorer, always going to put up points, could even be a point-per-game type of player. But can he play that 200-foot style defense that the Blues need him to be? And again, he doesn't have to become a like top defensive winger in the National Hockey League, but those long lapses of defensive uh, inability have to 
start to disappear because he's going to go through stretches where, yes, he's looking bad defensively, but can he make up for those and cut those in half too, I would say. So I would say that's kind of what you're looking for, for those guys to take that next step for the St. Louis Blues. And to your point, I'm not sure if this fits for Thomas as much as it fits for Cairo, but I mean, both guys don't have no trade clauses kicking in for another, not this season, not the following season. So they've got two years before no trade clauses kick in. They are the guys that you are talking about as they're the two franchise pillars that you look to surround them with the talent and the complimentary pieces. And as you heard Taylor say today on the balloon party with Chris Kerber, where then you start to bring up those prospects with him to provide that support. And if Kyrou and Thomas don't start to take those next steps, don't start to take those steps forward, maybe that's when Doug Armstrong looks at Kyrou or Thomas and says, okay, maybe they aren't the guys that we thought they were going to be. Maybe now is the time that we can get out of these deals before they end up getting those full no trade clauses. I think that is something that would would be on the table more for a Cairo than potentially a Thomas because we talked about it. There was all the talk in the offseason of, would you move Cairo for a Keller? Would you move Cairo for this player? And again, it, it's not so much that I'm willing to just get rid of the player. It's more of, if he doesn't start to show signs of taking that next step, it becomes a much tougher conversation for Doug Armstrong. I don't know if I would say it's one or the other in that sense. I think you make a great point, and I think that comes into play now of this prospect pool that you built up, and Tim Taylor talked about that. You've got a Dvorsky, you've got a Dean, you've got a Snuggerud, you've got a Bullduk. That's two centermen and two wingers. Two guys that can score goals, two guys that are big centermen. That's the two positions that Thomas and Kyrou play, and if you don't take that next step... There might be somebody coming up that can Wally Pip you, and Doug Armstrong, we have seen, is not afraid to make a move like that in terms of if you don't fit into our puzzle, we're going to find the right pieces that do fit. Now, when it comes to what that next step looks like for both of them, I isolate it in a couple of areas for each. For Robert Thomas, you're going to have to be that two-way centerman for this Blues team. As much as I want to see the offense and a 100-point season from Robert Thomas, he's going to be going up against the other team's top lines. And that means you're going to have to find ways to shut down the Nathan McKinnons when you're playing against them, the Kaprizovs when you're playing against them, and I want to see the face-offs take that step forward because that is so influential when Robert Thomas is on the ice. I know the skill's going to be there on the power play, but the two-way centerman comes in on the penalty kill on special teams, and it comes at five-on-five. And for Kairou, Kairou is going to be you're going to have to be a difference maker on both sides of the ice. I don't expect him to be a Selkie Trophy candidate. That's not who he is. But what I do expect is your speed to be the difference maker on the defensive side and on offensive side. Power plays, you should be a top five power play in the National Hockey League because you have that talented of a player on it. Those are two areas that if I want to see the next step, I need to start seeing the game breaker ability. We've seen some of it from Kairou and Thomas, but you're going to need to see it on a consistent level. Yeah, and I think for... Thomas, I think after having kind of that opportunity, I would say, last year playing on that top line and seeing what it's going to take, and Cairo kind of the same way, I, I think that's beneficial for those guys. I expect Thomas to kind of take that next step, but we will see. Cairo's the one that the defensive game is one of those where it is more of a effort than anything else, and I think he can get there. Like I, I trust Craig Berube, who preached it heading into the offseason, Doug Armstrong, who preached it heading into the offseason, that Kairou should be able to take his game to that next level on the defensive side of the ice. And again, it's not going to be a Selkie nominee from Jordan Kairou. Like, that may be one of the most surprising things if it ended up happening in this century. But can he get to a guy where I'm not seeing constantly on consecutive nights where there is a highlight where a goal goes in and they show the overhead camera and he's just kind of gliding back? And with his speed, he can just get back and get back to the race and help them on the back check. So I, I think with Kyrou, that is the number one thing because, again, his goal scoring is going to be there. It's just a matter of 
he's got to get rid of that liability that he was on the ice this season. One more thing, and then we're going to get to Keith Law on the other side. I know Curbs teased it, didn't get to it because, well, his distractions kicked in fully, which happens a lot with Curbs. It's always entertaining, but he teased a little bit about who he believes should be the captain. We're on the same page here that Braden Shen should be the captain for this team. I can see the arguments for Robert Thomas because you are building around that. I could hear the argument if you're going to go one of the defensemen. And I know our guy BK likes to take the stance of captains don't matter. Just don't give it to somebody. But to work in the favor of Thomas and Kairou taking that next step, I think Braden Shen should be that captain because now you've got the veteran who can be the one answering all those questions. But Thomas and Kairou can be around and see it and see how he goes about it with letters on their jerseys. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure they're going to end up naming a captain, but I, I think they should name Braden Chen as the captain because of what you said. Have a veteran voice that's in that locker room that's willing to answer questions to the media on tough nights, which could happen for this St. Louis Blues team. Have a guy like Ryan O'Reilly with a C on his chest. So I think they probably should name Braden Chen the captain, but I kind of am starting to lean towards the side of, they're not going to do it this year and go more of captain by committee and then name someone for the following season if they even decide to do that. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Keith Law of The Athletic. He covers Major League Baseball, specifically the prospect system and the draft that just wrapped up. We'll talk about the Cardinals draft and certain guys that could be in trades this deadline and offseason. Keith Law joins us next on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN as we head to our guest line now and welcome in Keith Law of The Athletic, covers Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Draft, which has just wrapped up. And uh, now I get a little bit of downtime before all of the trade deadline conversation comes into play. Keith, it's great to catch up with you today, sir. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Doing fantastic. Let's start with the draft, if that's okay, Keith. I know you broke it down on your piece on The Athletic, which people should subscribe to, but your general thoughts on the Cardinals' overall draft? Uh, Yeah, I thought they did okay. I did not see a ton of... um, I I don't know that I saw a ton of upside in the draft. I would say it was probably a little more conservative, but the Cardinals do sort of go back and forth year to year. Um, with how conservative or how aggressive they get. I did like the first-round pick, Chase Davis, quite a bit. He was a personal favorite of mine, um, somebody I argued 
for a while this spring. I thought he was a first-round talent who wasn't getting enough first-round attention. I think it was only since the combine and in the, the couple of weeks since the combine after player after teams got a chance to meet with players too that he started to rise up into the first round. And and I will say I really like the fact that from his sophomore year to his junior year, he made a pretty significant approach, cutting down his strikeouts, cutting down uh, some particular vulnerabilities at the plate. When a player shows he can make an adjustment like that, to me it's always a good sign that he can continue to do so going forward. Keith, the Cardinals selected nine pitchers in this year's draft. And when you look at the Cardinals system as a whole with their pitching, Tinkins, their number one prospect in terms of pitching prospects, what, mm-hmm. how do you evaluate their pitching system? Because they are in dire need of some pitching help at the major league level. But how do you view it in the minor leagues? How are they doing in terms of their pitching development right now? Yeah, there's, um, they're, I would say they're fair in that department. Um, Tinkins, I'm a huge fan of, of Tinkins. I think there's clearly above average starter upside there. They have been very cautious with him. Obviously he was young, very young when he came into the system and then did have a little bit of arm trouble the first year. I think they limited him to something like seven or eight innings. So I like the way they're bringing him along. Um, I like the fact that they promoted him to double a and gave him what I believe was his longest professional start by pitches thrown, which shows we're trending in the right direction. He's the real standout, though. The rest of the pitching in the system, um, this is not really criticism, but it's it's a lot of guys who are more sort of back end of the rotation. You know, I think of Mike McGreevy, who was their first rounder a couple of years ago. It's perfectly fine, but he's probably a fourth or fifth starter. Tink is the one guy in that system who I look at and say he's got a chance to be a number three starter or better. And in, and in his case, I think quite a bit better. We're talking with Keith Law of The Athletic here on BK and Ferrario. Keith, speaking of pitching, it, it's no it's it's no secret that the Cardinals pitching is bad this season. It's been the major reason why they have faltered in the NL Central and their hopes for the playoffs. And John Mozeliak has made it very clear that they're going to have to change their model a little bit. And we all in St. Louis believe they're going to have to find some high upside pitchers on the trade market, whether it be deadline or offseason. Are there guys that fall into that criteria, in your opinion, that you believe the Cardinals could acquire? No, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to see a lot of – if the Cardinals are selling, um, if that's what you're saying, are there at, uh, this, at this trade deadline, high-end pitching prospects do not generally get traded anymore. There are rare exceptions, but especially if, the car, if what the Cardinals are doing is trading away guys who are rentals, who are headed for free agency after the season – then I think it's unlikely they're going to get high-end pitching prospects in return. Now, if they were to do something you know, very surprising, like trade a Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado, that would be a very different story. Otherwise, I think they're going to have to be looking to free agency this offseason, and then they're going to be competing with a lot of uh, a lot of other clubs. You know, Lucas Giolito is going to be one of the leading free agents um, among starting pitchers this this winter. Well, guess what? Everybody's going to be interested in Lucas Giolito. Uh, and so that's going to make it difficult. You know, we've seen the Cardinals make good runs at free agents many times the last few years and often end up second in the bidding. And I think that uh, that their best bet to get that kind of pitching that you're talking about is to do it through the draft. Keith, when you look at the St. Louis Cardinals, they, they've been kind of connected to the Seattle Mariners and potentially trading for a cost control pitcher like a Logan Gilberth uh, and potentially moving on from one of their cost control bats to send the other way. And one name that's come up in conversations is Lars Newbar. How do you evaluate Lars Newbar? And is he someone that should be kind of untouchable for the St. Louis Cardinals to move at this year's deadline? Oh, he's absolutely not untouchable at all. I mean, I think that one, I don't think he is that kind of player who would, who should be untouchable. He's kind of a platoon bat, right? He he does not hit left-handed pitching very well at all. In fact, I just pulled up his 
stats. He's got a 235 slugging percentage against lefties this year. That's not an untouchable. That is a, that is a very tradable player. I also don't think he's getting you a Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert's a well above average starter who's cost controlled for many years. So, you know, I think if you're trading a Lars Newtbar, you are hoping to get maybe a pitching prospect in, in high A or double A, who you hope you can develop into a major league starter. But if you're trying to get a Logan Gilbert or, or George Kirby, who are two young, very talented, cost-controlled starters for the Mariners, you're probably looking at trading a lot more than that. And, I mean, just having talked to some of the Seattle guys over the weekend, mostly talking draft, I don't think they're in any particular mood to be trading at any of those starters because they look at this as, as the core of a rotation for the next three or four years that's going to help them get to the playoffs. Speaking of another controllable bat for the Cardinals, you just mentioned it's going to potentially take more, or if Seattle doesn't even want to move some of those guys, how do you look at a Nolan Gorman in his first real big full season as a St. Louis Cardinal here at the majors? And he looks kind of the same as he did last year. He's slugging for power, just not hitting for any average. How do you view Nolan Gorman? I think there are signs of progress though, in that he's, he's hitting for some more power. He has, uh, uh, he, his approach at the plate looks a little bit better to me. I think he's been a little bit more selective. We've seen small increases here, like a, a small increase in the walk rate. Um, that was a little bit better earlier in the spring. I think we've seen, uh, you know, he's kind of regressed slightly as the season has gone on. But again, like I was saying about Chase Davis in the draft too, guys who make adjustments tend to continue to make adjustments. And for me, you know, Nolan Gorman was always this huge power guy who brought a lot of risk of strikeouts. But I thought... There was enough of an understanding of the strike zone and ability to make adjustments that was willing to bet on him. Always ranked him pretty highly. I, I think we're seeing some of that, and I would guess, I will predict, in the second half you'll see more adjustments from Gorman, and I hope that means they hold on to him. I don't. I think he is a player you want to hang on to. He's only 23. He's already shown he's got 30 homer power as it is. I think the on-base percentage is going to continue to creep up, and I think he's going to continue to make adjustments. Keith, when you look at the Cardinals roster headed into this trade deadline, and, and then really when you head into the offseason, because that's where a lot more blockbuster trades go down, do you see untouchables on the Cardinals roster? I don't think so. I mean, they may view, you know, I was mentioning Goldsmith and um, Arenado. They may view them as untouchable, figuring how are we competitive without those guys. I'm sympathetic to that um, that position, but I would also say you know trading to to either of those two very great players. This is not a criticism of these players. If trading either of them brings you back more talent than you're giving up, then you should be open to it. I mean, honestly, if there's one guy on this whole roster I look at and, and think to, uh, maybe get away from the word untouchable, but somebody I can't imagine trading, it's Jordan Walker, just because he's already shown so much. He's only 21. So there's now, I believe, six years of control remaining, I think, because of the time he spent in the minors. But he is an absolute building block, and it's hard to imagine getting that much in return. Like, the Orioles aren't giving you Jackson Holiday for Jordan Walker. So it's really hard for me to see a scenario where they're getting good value back because of Walker's upside as a hitter and, frankly, as a right fielder, too. Keith, we've been talking about the trade deadline, and, and you had mentioned about Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, guys Cardinals could sell, and then we've been talking about potentially looking outside the organization to add pitching for St. Louis. What would you deem a successful trade deadline for the St. Louis Cardinals? I think, you know, I hate to say this because I thought the Cardinals were going to make the playoffs this year, but I think that's probably just not happening. And then, you know, to me, once you've acknowledged and kind of gone through the, the five stages of grief over not making the playoffs, <laughs> right? You have to you get to acceptance. And that means 
any player you're going to lose as a free agent this winter, you want to make a, a real good faith effort to trade. You basically not get what you want and hang on to those guys. Like you should always be willing to just walk away if the offers are bad. But honestly, guys like the two you mentioned, Montgomery and Flaherty, Montgomery especially, I think he's pretty valuable for a rental. I think you should be able to pull a deal with him and maybe get two decent prospects in return or maybe one really good prospect in return. We'll see what the market offers. But Montgomery has just, I mean, he's been better. Honestly, his whole career, I think I've underestimated him. You look at the season he's having, he's got a chance to be the best or second best starter traded at this deadline. Keith, final one for you, and we really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Dylan Carlson is a, a name that has talked a lot here in St. Louis of kind of how he fares moving forward. If it's a guy that the Cardinals should continue to give opportunities or maybe see what they can get on the market, where do you lie on Carlson? I'm a big Carlson guy, and you know the fact that Again, we're starting to see a little small improvements in the approach this year. I know it hasn't been hasn't resulted in a great overall offensive line, but I, I like what we're seeing. Um, and the fact that even last year too, you saw him make real improvements in the contact rate, and that we're continue that's continuing to carry forward. It, it, I think it's coming. I think the breakout is coming at some point, um, and I think you're going to see a guy who's 20 plus homers who provides a lot of value on defense. And is a 350 or better on base guy. Maybe that's not this year, but it's coming soon. And I, he, I can't call him untouchable. I can't say I wouldn't trade him, but that's a guy I would worry about coming back to bite me if I did include him in a deal. Keith, we always appreciate your information and time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure people follow him on Twitter at Keith Law and check out his work on the Athletic. Always appreciate the time, sir. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy this uh, stretch going into the trade deadline. Yep, my pleasure. Awesome. There you go, Keith Law, with us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, a couple of nuggets here, T-Bone, that he, that he mentioned, and the, the main one for me is, I think it was a reality check. Uh, you're not getting Logan Gilbert for Lars Newtbar. You're going to be giving up a lot of significant pieces if you want this controllable arm that can be somewhere in your 2-3 range of a rotation. And it was also a reality check of what he said, these, these pending free agents that you think you're going to be able to get a lot he said maybe Montgomery brings you in a couple of prospects, but at most you're probably looking at an A ball, maybe a double A ball type of prospect. This isn't going to be somebody who's a fringe major league baseball player. Yeah, my my biggest takeaway is there, and, and that was one of them. I, and I agree. I think Monty's going to be the guy that gets them the biggest haul. I think Hicks will get them a, a bigger haul than we are expecting. I wonder too. if you package those two together to a team to get an even bigger haul. I could see where Hicks and Flaherty get packaged, so you increase the value of Flaherty. That makes sense. That, that's the one that I kind of look at, but I, I like your thinking there. Uh, the other big takeaways for me, and, and he said, you know, Newpar, more of a platoon bat in his eyes, not a guy that should be viewed as untouchable. He's right. Man, I wanted to give Keith a hug at that moment. Uh, you're uh, right. You did. Also, I. I think two other big things for me. One, and we've talked about this, the pitching in the system. They don't have anybody that's has the upside as like a one-two outside of Tink Hens. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tink Hens doesn't even have like the upside of a one. It sure sounded like. Oh, like, I think he's got the upside of a one. Because uh, I, I, he, he said Keith he can play it. that. He can he can play up to that. Yeah, the way Keith. It, Keith made it seem like best case scenario is he's that, but more than likely it's going to be somewhere in that two-three range, which is a really good thing to have. Yeah, because. Outside of that, as he mentioned, because everybody else is like four and fives, McGreevy, Graceffo. And like you can kind of see that when you look at their numbers in AAA. Yes, McGreevy's got a low ERA, but he's given up like 10 hits per nine. He doesn't have strikeout stuff. He's averaged like two walks per or two walks per nine innings. So like you can see that. And that's kind of what I've thought. 
And I was curious to know if he thought that as well. And, and Kyle Reese even kind of said the same thing to us earlier in the week. And then the other one for me was on Dylan Carlson. Yeah. I think the breakout is coming. That's what Keith Law said with Dylan Carlson, that he would not give up on him yet. I I just disagree on the Carlson front. I, I don't see it coming for Dylan Carlson. I know we're going to talk about this later in the show, but I found it interesting that Keith Law, who does f- cover prospects, and does a great job doing so, still believes in Dylan Carlson. So that was interesting to me that he is high on Carlson, but not high on like a yeah. Lars Newbar for sale. Yeah, we'll discuss that a little bit later in the 12 o'clock hour. Tanner Hendricks and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. 314-399-9646. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. And we got our YouTube channel with our YouTube chat at 101 ESPN SDL. Ask us anything comes your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line, our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL, BK and Ferrario link. It's time for Ask Us Anything, where you get to ask us whatever you want, and we're going to have to answer it, no matter what. That includes Grant and Tanner, so send your questions to us, and we'll get into those. Uh, from the 618, Tony D'Angelo, question mark, blues, question mark? No, period. <laughs> no exclamation point. Oh, good point. Well said. I, I, by the way, I love how we're, we're just keeping it short and sweet there. It's like Kevin Malone from The Office. Just cut out words. It's the best way to go about this. Yeah, no bleeping way. Um, and I know his name was brought up in the potential Flyers trade that then turned into Sanheim. I, I don't buy into the Tony D'Angelo thing because Tony D'Angelo, wherever he plays, has been reported to be a problem off of the ice. And if there's one thing that the Blues don't need, it's another defenseman and then add in problematic off of the ice. So there's no bleeping way. To me, he's going to Carolina. They couldn't trade him. Then they got the buyout window, and they said, bleep it. We'll buy him out. Carolina will take him. And even if it wasn't for the off-ice issues, his on-ice quality is not high enough to be a guy that I would want to bring in, especially, like you said, with the logjam the Blues have on defense. The quality isn't there for his play, let alone the issues that come with him off the ice. So, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, I just don't see how they could make it work and I don't think the fit is right either because you're now getting to the point where the offseason's kind of done sure there are trade kind of rumors out there like Eric Carlson with San Jose Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg but like offseason's kind of done and moving money now is almost really tough for these teams so I, I just can't see how A the Blues can create enough space to get him and B, I just don't think he's a fit for the team Plus, as well. Guys, he's five foot eleven. You know what this team doesn't need? That's another a blue. Another less than six foot offensive defenseman. They've yeah. got plenty of them. Let's not bring in a tenth no. defenseman to figure out. More so merrier, man. No. God. That's what they said about the outfield. How'd that turn out for the Cardinals? Well, that's so all great. Uh from the six three six, do you guys miss BK? Do you think he misses you? I know for sure he misses us. I do too. BK actually just graced us with his presence because yep. he's got to pick up his equipment for next week. He's working from home. Uh, and the first thing he said to us was, guys, can I come on a segment later on today? And we went, <sighs> you know, we'll we, make room. You know, like we got a lot of stuff going on. So just yeah. call us. Thought we had till Monday. Let's do one's got to go, buddy. Like <laughs> I've had my week off from you. No, of course we miss BK. Uh, shows aren't the same uh, when you don't have the full group, although Grant has been an incredible yeah, piece thanks, for Alex. this show. But you are the backup <laughs> board operator, right. man. 
right? Yeah, That's I what Rocky calls you. Hey, to be fair, Grant, someone had to take BK's role of always handing out like backhanded compliments. So Good there point. you go. Good there you here's here's one that will work in your favor. If, mm-hmm. if I have my choice, you over Tanner. Oh, okay. You don't mean that. <laughs> it gives, no, it I, takes away. <laughs> I, I don't mean that one at all. Uh, from the 618 on Ask Us Anything, 314-399-9646. Guys, why would the Cardinals not consider moving Walker? It sure sounds like he might bring in the best return possible. Why? Because you don't have outfielders. I'm like, I don't really care what the return is for Jordan Walker. You don't have an impactful player in your outfield. And I know his defense sucks. I'm under the impression that that can improve over time. What doesn't suck is the fact that he's a middle of the order bat. The reason you don't move Jordan Walker, not even so much the lack of outfielders in this system, is because Jordan Walker has the potential to be Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato offensive type numbers and maybe even better. Like that's the whole reason you don't move him. I mean, look at his numbers now as a rookie. It's impressive. And he he should in theory only get better from here. So unlike most of the prospects that the Cardinals have told you about and overhyped him, Walker looks like the guy that's going to pan out and end up being what the Cardinals said he is going to be. So that's why you don't move him. Everybody else is open for fair discussion, even a Mason win, even a, uh, a large new bar, in my opinion, Nolan Gorman. But Jordan Walker is an absolute no because he could develop into being a MVP candidate for the St. Louis Cardinals, the first one that they've developed in their system since Albert Pujols. Yeah, I was about to say, you just watched two All-Stars at the All-Star game that you used to have. You don't want to make it a third with Jordan Walker, so that, that would be the reason right there. Unless you make it a third and trade Dylan Carlson, which that's the one I'm a little concerned about. From the 9-8-0, when it comes to talent, leaving the Cardinals and going elsewhere and becoming great players, is it a lack of being able to evaluate their own talent, or is it a lack of being able to develop their own talent? It's a good question. Um, I'd say both. Is yeah, that I, fair? I, I think it's both. Like in the sense of a Rosarena and Adolis Garcia, to me, that's evaluation because yeah. they tore it up in AAA. You knew they were going to be those types of players. It just didn't work out at the major league level for whatever that may be. But um, it's weird because like the guys we're seeing have success elsewhere. That feels more like the evaluation. But now that you're looking at guys that have not panned out, the Dylan Carlson's, the Lars Newbars, and on the pitching side of things, you could give a list of guys. That feels more like development, if that makes any sense, to where you're evaluating them, thinking that they're going to be there, but you're not developing in them. You're not developing them into what you evaluated them to be. Yeah, unless I that's confusing. I, I, I can. I see what you're saying where they evaluate them to be number threes, but then they fail to develop them up to that, to where I think it is both a inability to develop them to that, but also a misevaluation of what that pitcher is, like Matthew Libertor, for example. I think the Cardinals kind of viewed him as a number three left-handed starter in their rotation, and he was more of always projected to be more of a five, but they saw the upside because they thought he had swing and miss stuff, which you kind of seen in spurts with Matthew Libertor, but you know, it's hard when you can't get right-handed batters out and you've only got one not even a plus pitch. So I, I think it comes down to both for the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I think they've misevaluated the talent that they've had in terms of what their prospects are and what they had at the big league level and what they thought like an O'Neill was going to be, uh, what a Carlson was going to be. I truly believe him as well. And then also the lack of their ability to develop those guys. Now I will say I'm starting to be more impressed by what they've done on the hitting side in their development. Jordan Walker, who we just talked about, Nolan Gorman is, though he's inconsistent right now, you can see the pure power 
and then also Mason Wynn, who's developing in the minor league system. So I've been impressed with what they've done in terms of in the minors with their development, with their hitters. Yeah, but and on the other side of that, like this could happen to any team, even the Blues. Like you trade for Justin Falk, you give up Dominic Bach. Bach uh, didn't really amount to anything. He could have, though. Like he was a first yeah, round see, draft pick. I think pick. that was evaluating the right talent, right? Yeah. But knowing that he wasn't going to be an NHL player. Sure, but here's the other side of that. Like I think John Denton said this on one of the shows a few weeks ago. You can't give up your crap and expect to get good things in return. Like th- you have to look at it like if you want the Cardinals to be aggressive, you're going to have to give something up, and. Otherwise, you're just keeping your talent and then you're irritated that they didn't do anything. So you can't have your cake and eat it, too. That's why you have to pounce when the players that you have. And this is where it comes to the evaluation side of it. You need to evaluate faster than other teams evaluate your prospects. Yeah, And I'm not saying that they haven't misevaluated because they have. But but at the same time, a little credit there, too. To your Dominic Bach point, though, Doug Armstrong and company evaluated that player faster than the Carolina Hurricanes did saying, We know that he's not going to be at the level that we need, so we need to move him now, and Justin Falk was available. So in the Cardinal sense, the same can be said about a Tyler O'Neill. Like, if you evaluated it properly and said, like, hey, we really think that this guy is going to be an MVP caliber type player, okay, well, then you just didn't get that and you just made a mistake. But if your evaluation was prior to other teams where you said, hey, he's going to be good, but we're not sure he can stay healthy enough, you got to pounce on that. The same could be said about the Randy Rosarena thing. Like you thought that Randy Rosarena was a complimentary piece. Your evaluation was off on that because you developed them properly. You just didn't give them that opportunity. So it, I think it just comes down to the ability to, to evaluate faster than other teams and pounce on making that move before other teams find out that that player is not what you think he's going to be. Great questions for Ask Us Anything. Appreciate all of them on our Air Comfort Service text line and our YouTube channel. Coming up next, though, on BKM Ferrario. After Derek Gould's reporting yesterday, it sure seems that the Cardinals are backing what they're saying in terms of changing the method with their pitching staff. The names that they're putting out there make sense. But one really pisses T-Bone off. So we'll touch on all of them next here on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think it would be, uh, you know, adding a, a pitching piece that you can 
count on going forward. You know, they don't want a guy. They're not trading for a one-year guy like Quintana last year. Uh, they want somebody that they can build around. Um, if you can, if you can somehow land that without giving up Nolan Gorman, if you can somehow land a, a, a starting pitcher that you can count on going in the, in the next season, uh, that that would be a success. They're not going to blow this thing up. Yes, they may trade Jack Clarity. Yes, they may trade Jordan Montgomery. But they're not trading Paul Goldsmith. They're not trading Nolan Arenado. That, those those two things are just not going to happen. They're not going to blow this thing up. They're, they may make some small t- changes this year, but they're, they're planning to try to win next season. That's John Denton, Cardinals insider for MLB.com, who was with us earlier this week talking about what a successful trade deadline could look like for the Cardinals. Alongside Tanner Hendricks and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario, you're on 101 ESPN. So look, the Cardinals, after John Mozeliak talked about changing the method and finding ways to improve with the mindset for 2024, it, at least from Derek Gould's reporting yesterday, it sure sounds like the Cardinals are backing what they're saying. So this was in Derek Gould's piece. Quote, the Cardinals have at least three unclaimed openings of the 24 rotation, and they're shopping for starters who could help address those vacancies now. They want strikeouts. They need consistent innings to avoid the trapdoor of the past three years. Seattle's Logan Gilbert is of interest to the Cardinals, according to a source, though it's unclear what the Mariners would command in exchange. Clayton Beater, a right-hander at the Yankees AAA affiliate, with 83 strikeouts and 71 in the third innings, appeared in the past weekend's future games, and source described him as a fit. The Yankees are looking for an outfield boost and short-term pitching, and the Cardinals have both. White Sox veteran and former Cardinal Lance Lynn is attracting interest and has an $18 million club option for 2024. Let's take Lance Lynn's name out of it. We have a poll-up that we will discuss and let Tanner rant and rave for a couple of minutes and a bit. But you go to the other names. Logan Gilbert from Seattle. You go to Clayton Beater with the Yankees AAA affiliate, which some people might not know what his name is or who he is. He's this high strikeout guy that's going to be in a rotation. And then the other one that they brought up was Pete Blackburn of the Oakland Athletics. His name was brought up in the past. The Cardinals are doing exactly what they said. We're looking for these high upside guys in the minors that we could target that could be attributing to the team in 2024, but we're also looking for somebody who fits the rotation for the rest of this season, but is going to be a mainstay in our rotation for the next few years. And if this is the route that they're going, A+, plus. but you've got to get it done. You can't just be rumored to be in the conversation and say, but the cost was too high. At some point, you're going to have to pay the cost if you want to fix the problem. Yeah, and I, I like that they're connected to these guys. Logan Gilbert, a guy that we've talked about multiple times of, yeah, young cost control arm that probably projects to be a either an ace or a really solid number two for St. Louis. But as Keith Law told us, it's not just going to be kind of a one-for-one swap where it is like a Lars Newbar going to Seattle in for Logan Gilbert. It's going to take Newbar and a package centered around him or Nolan Gorman and a package centered around him to pull that deal off. Kind of that puke point trade that we've been talking about honestly, since like the first month of the season of how the Cardinals are going to have to get uncomfortable. So I'm glad to see them targeting these guys and also targeting targeting guys that are not quite at the major league level yet, like this beater kid from the New York Yankees, because he's just started two games in AAA, but but he's getting close. He's probably a year away, kind of in the same time frame and probably a year ahead of Tinkins, but in the same, same time frame as a 
McGreevy, a Graceffo, bring him in, try and develop him in your system, and then he's either a depth piece for you in next year, going in as like the number six guy for like when injuries occur, basically in the role of Matthew Libertor, or you're looking at him as potentially a guy that comes in and if he pitches really well in training camp or spring training, can be the number five starter for you going into the uh, next season. So I like the fact that they're connected to these guys. I'm fascinated to know what like beater would be in terms of if they wanted to acquire him would he be like someone that they tried to target in a montgomery deal because that feels like it's too high of a price for short, the yankees but if you need short-term pitching and outfield help welcome to your package deal of a jordan montgomery and a dylan carlson or a large new bar yeah and and that's where it gets interesting because the yankees do need some help in the outfield they've been connected to cody bellinger with the cubs so I'll be interested to know if that is someone they are targeting, or at least that's the type of player they are targeting in deals for Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, those kind of arms, because as Keith Law told us, it's tough to get a high-end pitching prospect in any kind of deal at the trade deadline, and that's what Beater would be from the New York Yankees. But I, I'm I'm glad to see this is kind of the route that they are supposedly connected to, because this is what we've been preaching about since we've known they were going to be sellers, is that you've got to find pitching help for next year, and you've got to find guys that have got swing and miss stuff. Here's what I love about it. You're accomplishing a lot at the trade deadline, which leaves less for you to accomplish in the offseason, because we talked about it. You you already know Miles Michaelis, and let's just say the Cardinals are very optimistic with him, and he's a number two in your rotation. And you know that Steven Matz is at least going to be here you just don't know what he's going to be. But if Matt's pitches the way that he did the rest of the season, probably talking about a guy who you could view as a number four in a rotation. So you've got to figure out one, three, and five. If this is the route you're going, you've accomplished three in your rotation, i.e. the Logan Gilbert, and you've accomplished five with the high upside player adding depth to an system that could be the McGreevies and Graceffos. And now all you got's the ace. And there's some aces available in the offseason that you're going to have to get into a bidding war with. What Keith Law said, you're going up against other people who want those aces. But that's for the uncomfortability once again. If you want Nola, you're going to have to outbid other guys for him. If you want Snell, outbid. You want Giolito and view him as an ace, you're going to have to outbid. But you accomplishing two things at the deadline makes your task less difficult in the offseason. Because what I would hate and what I don't deem a successful trade deadline, T-Bone is you going out and just acquiring a low-end pitcher and A prospects. Now you've done nothing to fix 2024, and you've kept some of the pieces of the logjam, and maybe you're going to address that in the offseason. But I want you to be aggressive now, and I know it's going to suck if you've got to trade Nolan Gorman and one of your minor league pitchers for Logan Gilbert. It's going to suck, but guess what? I got better on the pitching side, and I have a lot of offense that I'm high on. It's probably not going to be fun to watch a Dylan Carlson or Lars Nupar get traded to a team for a triple-A starting pitcher, and that outfielder go on to be an all-star. But you better be sure you hit on that pitching guy that you got from a minor league system, because if he becomes a four or five in a rotation that becomes improved significantly— I'll figure out my outfield log jam and offense that I'm losing in that spot. I got to hit on these pitchers. Yeah, and also, too, they could even acquire someone. And again, we're just using this Clayton Beater from the Yankees because he's been reported connected to the Cardinals. He's kind of just placeholder for us. I heard but, Stalt saying yesterday the Dodgers are another team that yeah, need outfield there, help. There's a lot of teams that you can look to try and acquire young, impactful starting pitchers from in, in terms of in your minor league system and help supplement the minors and look for those guys that have some swing and miss. Because as you heard 
Keith Law, and, and you kind of made reference to this, Keith Law said, like, the outside of Tink Hens, there's really a bunch of four and fives that look like they're in the Cardinals system. So they need some more significant arms in their minor league system. But what I was going to say is, even if they acquire Clayton Beater, because I've seen a lot on the text line throughout this week when we've been talking about what the Cardinals need to do at the deadline, and a lot of it is people screaming, well, they don't need prospects. they got to win in 2024. Well, you could use these prospects that you bring in and flip them as well. Or it, it depends on the type of prospects. If you're getting a double-A that has the projection to be at Major League Baseball, we've seen plenty of double-A guys jump to Major League Baseball in a season. Yeah, so it, it just depends on how they evaluate this talent. Do they look at him? And if they're acquiring him, they're not looking at him going, oh, wow, I can't wait to get him and then just flip him and send him somewhere else. No, they view him as he's got value across Major League Baseball. They see the upside in him. And then if it comes to next year at the or in the offseason and say, I'm just using Cease's name as a placeholder here, Dylan Cease becomes available, they can go, okay, well, we're, we want to go acquire him. We just acquired some more assets. Here's what we're willing to part with. Here's it just adds more into what they are able to potentially use to go out there and help improve their team for 2024. All right. It's time to let T-Bone cook because uh-huh. so we were in our group chat last night talking about potential rotation views. And then, of course, Derek Gould's piece drops talking about how the interest in Lance Lynn and that $18 million option. Um, and needless to say, T-Bone was very upset. So T-Bone, go ahead and cook. Yeah, so you mentioned the other name that they were kind of connected to, and that is Lance Lynn, who's drawing some trade interest, who has a $18 million club option for 2024. So I can understand how the Cardinals go, familiar face, he's got control for next year, that we think we, we, we can pick that up, and he's got some swing and miss to his game. I have absolutely no interest in Lance Lynn, though, at the age of 36 years old in a whopping 6.03 ERA. And I don't care about his FIP, which BK liked to highlight last (laughs) night in the group chat. Lance Lynn is not the answer for the St. Louis Cardinals. They need to be looking for guys that have upside and are younger arms with cost control. Lance Lynn is not that guy. Lance Lynn went from last year having a 3.99 ERA to a high jump to a or 6.03. I'm not I'm not thinking that's by accident. I think Father Time is starting to catch up with Lance Lynn. Even though he does have the strikeout numbers, he's not as effective this season for the White Sox. So I am completely out on the notion of acquiring Lance Lynn at the trade deadline. I would blast the Cardinals if they did it. I don't think he's the kind of arm you should be targeting. Yes, I, I think it would be settling if it was the St. Louis Cardinals, in my opinion. I think it is settling for, all right, well, we don't want to get that creative. We kind of know what Lance Lynn is. Let's, let's go get him. And it's just one of those of placeholder. Go out there and be aggressive and go get a younger arm that has more upside. Be willing to kind of reach that puke point in a trade because they wouldn't have to give up much for Lance Lynn and his great 6.03 ERA. <laughs> T-Bone, what is it that you want the Cardinals to do with her rotation? I want to add swing and miss, but I want it in a younger arm that has even more upside so potentially. Lance Lynn is striking out 11 batters per nine innings this season, and BK did this uh, this information dive last night against yeah, you cherry picked what the I entire said, list of cardinal starters in the last 15 years to have a better single season strikeout rate than lance lynn's jack flaherty in 2019 and your guys the 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 number five starters that t-bone says let's attack these two and go high upside here uh james paxton who checks notes, 34 years old. T-Bone, do you want to tell me how many strikeouts James Paxton has over his last three seasons? I don't know, but he's on a one-year deal that's going to cost less than $18 million on a club option and to me has a higher upside than a Lance Lynn, who we can all agree is probably, what, a number three? Paxton, when he was right and healthy, 
He may have won a side. Win healthy. But again, but that's the risk they're going to have to take. And look, I, wouldn't you rather take Lane's it with Lynn, a guy who's been pitching this way for the last three years and is giving you innings and a guy that, yeah, if he's on and he's healthy, it's going to be great. But my concern is this dude could break at the first month of the season. I mean, Lance Lynn's got a six ERA. What's not broken about him? Uh, exactly. But uh, if I'm bringing Lance Lynn in, I'm bringing him in to be a four or five starter for me. Yeah, and I don't want it. I don't want that. They that's swing and miss that, stuff. Yeah, but he's got a Wayno ERA. <laughs> No, we, it's less than Wayno. We've been Wayno. talking about getting hey, rid of Wayno. It's less than Wayno's ERA. Not by much. T-Bone, uh, what about Alex Wood? You like him, right? Yeah, yeah, but like I saw his underlying numbers. That's the one I was referring to where BK Cherry picked that one. Paxton's underlying numbers Look, are good. Lynn's underlying numbers are good slash okay. But Lance Lynn, I, I just, six... I just want to see, I just want to see someone younger. But to what me, if they're going a... younger elsewhere? What if they're going younger with the Logan Gilberts and they're going younger by acquiring this Yankees pitcher? Go that younger can... with the whole rotation. But you're going to have to put somebody in there who can eat innings for you. Michaelis is your innings eater. You're going to need more than one. Obviously, we're finding that out this season. I think if you acquire Gilbert, he is the guy that eats innings. Whoever the other arm is you acquire, or you assign an ace like Anola, he's an innings eater. I, I don't want to hear they acquire Lance Lynn to be a five and his wonderful six ERA. But what if Lance so he can Lynn eat innings for this? But what team. if Lance Lynn gives you 157 innings with a 2.69 ERA or 121? He did that two years ago. Yeah, and he 121 went to a innings with a, a 603. He is not the same pitcher he was two years ago when he was an All Star. I think age is starting to catch up with Lance Lynn. I, I do not. They acquire Lance Lynn. It is a settling move, in my opinion, well, and I am glad to see, man, Cardinals Nation, I'm so happy. Go vote on our poll at our YouTube page, one, um, at 101 ESPN STL on YouTube. 81% of people have voted no in terms of if they want to see them acquire Lance Lynn. We're full of spite and vengeance on BK and Ferrario, so both BK and I are really hoping that they oh, find okay. a way to trade for Lance Lynn just to piss T-Bone off, because BK's that's great radio. He's texting us right now. Is he home. really? He just <laughs> sent us a text and looked at his similar pitchers through age 35, <laughs> which was last year. And Chris Carpenter Name is fourth. Him. Name him. Anyone to highlight that. Name him. No, oh, I, Chris Carpenter, man. Jake you know Arietta. I changed my answer. I don't miss BK either. John Johnny Cueto? No, they should not. They BK? should not be targeting Lance Lynn at this deadline. BK, I know you're hoping just like I am. Lance Lynn is a Cardinal for 2024. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, some Alex Ferrario. Like T-Bone mentioned, head over to the the poll on our YouTube channel and vote yes on you'd like to see a reunion with Lance Lynn for 2024. Just so we can see T-Bone get a little bit, just a little bit more angry. Coming up next, though. Keith Law was very adamant of what he said about Dylan Carlson. T-Bone is on the other side of that. We'll discuss next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm a big Carlson guy, and, you know, the fact that, again, we're starting to see a little, small improvements in the approach this year. I know it hasn't been, hasn't resulted in a great overall offensive line, but I, I like what we're seeing. Um, and the fact that even last year, too, you saw him make real improvements in the contact rate, and that we're continue, that's continuing to carry forward. It, it, I think it's coming. I think the breakout is coming at some point. Um, and I think you're going to see a guy who's 20-plus homers who provides a lot of value on defense and is a 350 or better on base guy. Maybe that's not this year, but it's coming soon. 
That was Keith Law of The Athletic, MLB writer who joined us earlier on BKN Ferrario. If you missed it, you could check it out after our show today on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And what Keith said is what Anthony Stalter said yesterday on the fast lane. And frankly, it's a conversation that a lot of Cardinals fans are having approaching this trade deadline. Do you trade away a Dylan Carlson and take the risk of having another Randy Rosarena or Adolis Garcia moment to you? And look... Dylan Carlson is not a Rosarena or Adolis Garcia, at least from what we've seen in terms of he's not going to be that power bat. He has not shown that ability, but what he has shown when he's had a full season and he's been on is a over 100 OPS plus player. 115 was his best season. That was 2021. Since then, it's dipped a little bit. 99 last year, currently sitting at 97. If the Cardinals are going to go down this path of having to trade one of their outfielders, it comes down to Newt Barr or Carlson, because to anybody who's listening to this and says, well, what about Tyler O'Neill? That's your junk that you're trying to sell, and you're not going to get much in return for it. Tyler O'Neill's in the minors. Don't even know what that looks like. You're going to have to trade a Carlson or a Newt Barr. And it sure seems like, at least from Derek Gould's reporting, teams are a lot higher on Lars Newt Barr than Dylan Carlson via trade. My concern with this is you're going to do the same thing where you trade the wrong guy. And this goes back to the evaluation versus development conversation of outfielders. I think you're, I think you got a really good picture of who Dylan Carlson is. He's got over a thousand at bats and he's floating right around a one Oh three OPS plus. And you know, he's a above average defender in the outfield for you. The concern is, does he stay healthy the full season? And can he be consistent because his splits are not pretty? But Lars Newtbar is a smaller sample size. Now, you know the defense is there, but Lars Newtbar has not shown the power that we all thought he was going to provide to this team. So in the sense of you giving up on one of them, it's probably going to sting either way. If you give up Carlson, if you give up Newtbar. But I think I would lean more towards the end of not giving up on Carlson over a Lars Newtbar because the upside of what you evaluated with Dylan Carlson of being a middle of the bat guy or at least somebody who could be a part of a core is not what that same upside was when you were evaluating Lars Newtbar at the beginning yeah I I would be more concerned and I'm not even concerned I was I'm wheeling and dealing baby at this trade deadline yeah you are for Lance Lynn from the White Sox no I am not just on that pull hit yes uh, but I but when I look at Carlson I I think his upside is just a good player and I, I don't see that development coming I I I look at Carlson I don't think he's ever going to be viewed as one that says uh um He's the one that got away. I, I think you'd look at him. Would you say Reynold Gritchick is a player that the Cardinals say, man, I can't believe we let him go? No, not okay. at all. But I think I think now you're looking at it saying, I wish we had him. Yeah, and that's because he's been consistent through his career. And I think that's the same conversation they may have if they move Carlson. I agree. Is, did we, I wish we did had Did we trade him. away a superstar? Did we trade away a all-star caliber player? No, but we traded away a really good outfielder. And I think that's the conversation. I don't think it is so much of the conversation of they traded away another Randy Arozarena or an Adolis Garcia because I just looked at Gritchick's uh, career here in St. Louis where he spent four seasons. And Dylan Carlson's, I just pulled his up in which he is in year four. But, you know, tough to count that 2020 pandemic year. But his numbers, he has more plate appearances than Randall Gritchick did in his four seasons here in St. Louis. And they look almost the same as the same player. 249 average for Gritchick. 246 average for Dylan Carlson. Carlson, 103 OPS plus. Gritchick in his time, 107 OPS plus. And Gritchick didn't get on base as much as Carlson has. Had more slugging than Carlson. 
but it almost is like the same numbers. And what Grichik averaged here in St. Louis is 16 home runs and 46 RBIs in that time frame. I mean, that's kind of what, what Keith Law said to us and what she projects Carlson to be. About a Keith 20 home Law run hitter. Is a tool. Thank you, Janet. No, I actually like Keith Law. He thought he was really good today. Uh, but I, I looked at Carlson today, and, and I look at Carlson and his numbers, and I think he's basically what you kind of hope Grichik is, is you kind of hope you develop that. And that's where they've got to decide, is that good enough to be here in St. Louis? And that's why I look at him and I say, I'm okay with moving him because I don't think he's going to be the one that got away. I think there's more, I truly believe there's more upside in Newbar because he hits the ball hard, he gets on base at a higher clip, can hit for average, left-handed hitter, hits right-handers well, and is also a guy that could potentially develop into a slugger. Carlson doesn't hit righties at all throughout his career, and it continues that trend this year. It is a true platoon bat for St. Louis. I'm going to go with the experts on this one and look at how they rank prospects in all of baseball. And that's why if I, I mean, because what you said about Dylan Carlson, you're not giving up a superstar. You're probably just giving up a really good outfielder and a really good all-around player. I could say the same thing for Lars Newpar because I don't know if that superstar status is there for him. Now, in terms of uh, identity and kind of who he is, yeah, that superstar status is there. Everybody knows him. But I don't know if I want to stick with the player that's my core just because he's really popular everywhere he but goes. But I don't think they're doing that. I think they're doing that because his numbers do project him to be a potential. But at best, Lars Newpar was, I mean, he never even cracked a, a, cracked a top 100 prospect list. Agreed. Dylan Carlson cracked that multiple seasons. But. That's the same. It's the same thing on like Logan Brown's a first round pick, so he must have talent. That's it's not true. No, it, that's different because you're getting people that are evaluating these guys that spend a but lot I, of time I, dedicated to prospect yeah, rankings. It, they get it wrong. Like it, I've never seen a top 100 prospect list, and I go, "Holy!" You're saying they got it wrong by guys. saying Lars Newpar's a 356th prospect ranking. It's possible there are guys that do develop into studs that were drafted late in, in the Here's draft. Here's what I would worry about Lars Newpar on that side of it. And you're right. I, I can't get too aggressive on that front because people do get it wrong in evaluating prospects. Don't throw Logan Brown in my face. So that's well, just not know, right. That's dirty. You just fall into this category. Lars Newpar, to me, I'd be worried was like a more talent, but a Jeremy Hazel Baker type of thing where you saw it for one season and you're like, oh my God, and you never get that back. Whereas Dylan Carlson's one of these guys that you're just sitting there saying, man, he just can't get it right. He just can't get it right. And if he goes somewhere else and gets it right, that feels like it's going to hurt the Cardinals team more than if Lars Nupar goes somewhere and has that run, but never stays at that consistent level. Carlson, to me, might be the consistent answer for you. I, I just, and look, I typically look at like what the downside is for players, but I think in this scenario with Carlson and Nupar, I think the downside is they just never are, maybe not major league outfielders, but they never are a starting outfielder for a whole season. They're more of like fourth outfielders, platoon bats. But I still think the upside is higher for Newpar because he gets on base at a better clip, hits right-handed pitching, which there are more righties in the league than lefties, and it has potential to be a guy that can hit for some power as well. I mean, that's like all the tools you're talking about. And I didn't even mention his defense is good in right field, and he's been okay at center field when he's played that this year. When I look at Carlson, I like maybe he can become a 20-home run guy, but I, I'm not certain of that. I think he's like around 15 home runs, going to hit for doubles. I don't think he's going to get on base at the clip that Keith Law said he would. I think he said 350, if I remember correctly. And, like, I, I just see his ceiling as a good player. He was always comped to Andre Ethier. Look, if he became Andre Ethier, that's a win for the Cardinals. I'll take that. What was Lars Newpar comped to? I mean, I don't even know if Newpar came on the scene so fast. I don't even know if they came up with a comp. Um, but I, I think when you look at Carlson, I think the ceiling for him is a good player. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's where the Cardinals have to have these conversations of, are they okay with him right. becoming 
that. You have to get it right on who you're deciding to move on from. And if teams are calling about Carlson, are you better off in gaining whatever it is, whether it's an asset or involving him in a package to go get something, better off doing that or sitting sitting on Carlson and saying, yeah, let's stick with him because we think he'd be a good player. And right now, like... He's not an everyday player for the Cardinals, right. and, and and that's okay. They can continue. They can have him as their fourth outfielder. That's a platoon bat next year if they want. To. See what's interesting about this is like you and I are on the same page of this conversation. Neither of these guys are untouchable. I'm trading both of these guys if the package is correct. That's where it comes down to know knowing what you're getting in return because the best package is what you need to capitalize on if you deem these guys in the same trajectory. And stick with the other one. You can't move on from both. But, man, to sit here and say that one is untouchable over the other, I can't do that. And maybe you're just doing it to try and raise the stock of these players of, yeah, no, we're not talking Lars Nupar, so that somebody gives you the best deal possible for him. But to sit there and stick to your guns and say, he's untouchable, we can't move him, that might be a mistake depending on what the package is going to be in return. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I talk about mixed messaging on the text line because I see a lot that say stick with Carlson. He's still young. I, I get the it. one-year difference. There's no, there's no youth in sense here. Yeah, well, and it's not even so much the age for me. It's, it's the amount of plate appearances for Dylan Carlson. Look, he still is kind of Major League Baseball young, but it's not like we're talking about a guy that just has had 300 plate appearances. We're talking about a guy, what did I say, over 1,400 plate appearances right now? And I'm seeing a lot of the same trends that I saw that were problems for him. Uh, outside of his real, even in that 2021 rookie year where he had a really good year, he struggled against right-handed pitching. Like I'm still seeing some of the same problems with Carlson, and I'm not really. I at least haven't seen them getting better. I know Keith Law said he thinks the swing is starting to look better. I I just haven't seen that. I still think it is the same guy that we've seen over the last couple of years. So I I just look at Carlson and I say it's a good player. Look. If you don't move him, that's fine. But if people value him as becoming a better player, I think I might be willing to put him in a package to go get something or even potentially sell him off as a trade piece so you can kind of unclog this outfield. The amount of people that are texting in right now saying, ah, Ferrario, Mike Piazza wasn't even in a baseball rankings. Albert Pujols was very low in the baseball rankings. Base, uh, prospect rankings and evaluations have changed in the last 30 years, everybody. So uh, that that does improve over time, which I would lean more towards on these than the people evaluating Mike Piazza with a clipboard and a pencil. The uh, the ups and downs from the text line. Someone said, <laughs> holy F, I agree with Tanner. And then the next text was, is Tanner drunk? So, you know, it's the ups and downs. Welcome to our Friday, ladies and gentlemen. One's got to go is at 130. We'll make everybody feel better. Junk drawer in 15, but coming up next... This will make you happy. T-Bone's got three things that uh, he's got bold predictions for the second half. Also because I needed to make up for the first half ones. They were bad. Well, yeah, you failed on all of those. And which Cardinal is going to need a big second half? That's next on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
So the unofficial second half of the season for the Cardinals starts tonight, and uh, here we go. 25-game win streak on the way, right? Man, it was so sad. I literally looked up at the TV in our studio, and the first highlight I saw right as you were saying that was Hicks throwing the ball into the third row in my Doesn't opinion. it all? The Blues way is that, too. Every time you see highlights, it's usually somebody scoring on the Blues. Now we're seeing yeah, highlights of bad. the Cardinals giving up monster home runs yeah. or throwing the ball into the second stands in Miami. Regardless, you hope for a better second half rather than the first half, but that's going to rely on certain players having a big second half. And look, uh, the obvious answers here are Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Wilson Contreras. Those guys need big second halves. But who else? Because there could be a lot of guys that fall into this category, whether it's helping this team find success or helping this team rise their trade stock before August 1st or maybe the offseason that could benefit this Cardinals team for 2024. So, T-Bone, who would you say needs to have the biggest second half? I I think it's the guy we led the show off with because I think they're going to do the the same thing they did last year with Carlson and bank on him, and now look what they're doing. They're potentially looking to move Carlson, and that is Lars Nupar. Look, his first half wasn't bad. I mean, he's 4% above league average in terms of his OPS plus at 104 with 100 being league average, but... The way the Cardinals kind of talked about him and how they didn't want to move him to go get a Sean Murphy this offseason, I think expectations were higher than just 4% above league average for him offensively. And the reason his OPS and all that is so low is because he's just not hitting for power. I I think there's more power to come for Lars Nupar, but he's the offensive piece for me that really needs a big second half to really solidify himself as a guy that belongs as a part of this outfield configuration, not just for next year, but for years to come. So I would say Lars Newpar is the offensive piece for me. Pitching-wise, we've talked about him, I think, all week, and it's Steven Matz. Like, Matz has to prove he belongs in this rotation in the second half so you don't have to go looking for four spots next year, or at least three, and then you feel really uncomfortable yeah. about Matz. I think Matz will prove that he belongs in the rotation, looked really good in his first outing, but he's a pitcher that really needs a big second half. Yeah, Matz would be the pitcher for me, and I don't really think there's anybody else that falls into that conversation. Uh, you could sit there and talk about Jack Flaherty to raise his trade stock, but I don't really think that's going to make a difference if he pitches well for three starts because people know he's a pending free agent and they saw what he did in the first half. You can talk about Adam Wainwright, big second half, but that's really only the personal stats because I don't know him having a big second half is going to change the outlook by August 1st. So Matt's is the only pitcher here. I would actually say Nolan Gorman needs to have a big second half for this Cardinals team. Nolan Gorman, because of what Keith Law said and because of what we talked about earlier with him not being on Derek Gould's list of players that he was talking about that are spiking interest right now or the Cardinals don't want to move on from, you need Nolan Gorman to show you I'm either a piece of this core or I'm somebody that you can replace. And I say replace because his defense has been good, but you could find a better defender at second base. And frankly, the opinion of, well, he's a power lefty bat, that could be Alec Burleson for you. You could find the power lefty bats. Can it be, though? Uh, who knows? You know like, what? You know, you know who he else hasn't got this because he just threw his name out there. Alec Burleson needs a big second well, half. Absolutely, but I don't know if he's going to get the opportunities. I think he may. I'll uh, be curious to know. It depends on who gets moved. Not but. if Newt was. Yeah, between now and August first, he's not because Newt Bar. Carlson, Walker, your outfielders, and then whatever the hell they decide to do with Tyler O'Neill. I don't expect much of Alec Burleson. Now, beyond August 1st, if he's not traded, I would agree with you there. But I still look at Nolan Gorman saying, are you in the Jordan Walker conversation or are you in the Brendan Donovan conversation? That's the difference that you can have in the second half if you're Nolan Gorman. Because let's say he doesn't get traded by August 1st. 
Well, then you got to start talking about it again in the offseason if they decide to move him to gain the assets that you're hoping for on the pitching side of things. Yeah, but I, I so I agree with you there. I, and in terms of like, I was trying to think of this last night, and it, and it is kind of tough, but when you're looking at like the pitching side, I, I don't know if there's really anybody outside of Matt's that you really specifically need to have a big second half. It, because like Michaelis, you know what Michaelis is. Michaelis has been solid. Yeah. It's tough to know what the bullpen's going to look like. And honestly, there's just not enough arms down in the minors to where you're like, this guy's really got to do something to prove he belongs. Maybe Matthew Libertor falls in this category if he gets moved to the rotation. But other outside that, though, I mean, and, and this is what we've been talking about, where their pitching is so dry in terms of lack of talent. It's hard to look at the pitching and go, man, who's the guy that just can even prove he belongs on this team in 2024? Because I feel like most guys' fate has been decided. And maybe that's just me, but at least that's the way I'm looking at it going into this second half. Second half. So those are the players that need to step up. But Tanner was so good with his bold predictions in the first half. Nailed all three of them. (laughs) Nailed all three of them that we said, you know what, T-Bone? Damn it, we need three more for the second half. T-Bone three time, baby. Grant, hit the open. T-Bone. 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 All right, three bold predictions for the second half, but just like the Ferrario 5, there are honorable mentions. And the two honorable mentions, and they have to be honorable because they're probably not going to happen, Tyler (laughs) O'Neill reclaims a starting outfield spot in the second half. That's not going to happen. Move on. We'll talk more about his role later on in the show. And also the other one is, we don't see Graceffo McGreevier win this season, even though they will be sellers at the deadline, just because I think they want them to get more seasoning. Sounds like McGreevy and Graceffo aren't ready. Win, maybe they do, but they can just hold on to Paul DeYoung if they choose. Number three on the T-Bone, three for three bold predictions in the second half. Wilson Contreras has the best offensive second half of any St. Louis Cardinal. Look, we talk about a guy that needs to prove something. I think it's more on defense for Wilson Contreras that he needs to prove in the second half, but his bat was starting to get hot when we went into the All-Star break. Now that the pressure, I don't know if you want to say the pressure's off completely, but now that they're out of it, they're sellers. I see Wilson Contreras having a significantly better second half and being the best offensive piece in this lineup in the second half of the season for the St. Louis Cardinals. I like that one, especially I I think for Wilson Contreras, he needs to regain that so that people can get off his back a little bit for for the 2024 season. Number two in my three bold predictions for the second half, the St. Louis Cardinals will trade six-plus pieces from their big league roster at this year's trade deadline. Damn! It is time for the six overhaul. Six-plus pieces? Yep. I think when I looked at the roster... I'll I give s- them an A-plus-plus if they do that. There are three pieces that we think for sure are gone, right? Montgomery, Hicks. Flaherty, Hicks. Yep. I think Stratton's a guy that's going to bring in some value. Okay. I think there's a chance they look to move on from a Genesis Cabrera, maybe even a Giovanni Gallegos. And then we've talked about O'Neill, Carlson. Uh, you could see Gorman dealt if they're looking for pitching. Like, I think it's definitely possible that they make the most trades at this year's deadline, and we're looking at six-plus major league pieces being moved. That one I would say maybe not so much because I can see the three rentals, maybe four rentals, but the other pieces... I think that's going to sound like it's going to get pulled off, but then they re they regain those conversations in the offseason and the Gormans or the Donovans or the new parts of the Carlsons get moved. But, I mean, hey, if you want bold for John Mosellock, you do that. If you're making six or more player trades, you're doing exactly what you said you were doing. Now, don't just get all A-ball prospects for these guys. You're going to have to capitalize on somebody that could be a part of 2024, but... Uh, that's selling off everything and focusing on the next season, which I would appreciate. 
And number one on the T-Bone 3 for three bold predictions for the second half. Cardinals I make, make the playoffs. Cardinals no. win the World Series. I, 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 almost, I almost put it in here, but I thought it's Friday. Let's have some fun. I almost put in here they lose 100 games. But I said, let's Woo-hoo! keep a positive attitude That's going into positive. the weekend. You're, you're talking about a number one overall pick? Yeah, that'd be tough to watch, though, in the oh second my half. God, I would love but it. Number one in the T-Bone 3 for my three bold predictions for the second half. I wouldn't do this, but I could see where the Cardinals decide to jump the gun. Number one, Jordan Walker signs a contract extension with the St. Louis Cardinals, similar to what Corbin Carroll got, which was around eight years and $111 million. You think that gets done before the end of the season? I think it's possible. Because that's a spring training move to me. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think Corbin Carroll signed his in September of last year. I could see where they want to go into the offseason, having him locked up under contract. So I think it is something they're going to try to get done in September. Get this deal done with him before they go into the offseason. Boy, that's a wild couple of months, right? Jordan Walker gets sent down to the minors because he's not hitting, and they got, they want him to lift the ball, and then two months later, let's give you a 10-year contract extension. I think it is possible that they decide to get this done. It I could think that's be, a, it could be in the offseason, but I think they will have conversations with Jordan Walker's camp here in the second half and try to get him locked up on a team-friendly deal because he's the kind of guy that could definitely really shoot up his arbitration numbers oh, yeah. in terms of the production that he puts up and could become expensive. I think they're going to try and lock him up and get him done before they go into the offseason. I wish they would. I mean, take a, take a page out of the Atlanta Braves book. If they know you're a part of our core, sign and do a long-term contract extension. I think you need to start doing that with some of these guys, but you got to identify who's a part of that core, and that's been their issue. It's 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 no secret Jordan Walker is... So I'm with you. I would sign it now rather than later. But th- the Cardinals operate the same way. It's the, it's the same team. You can predict them. They like to give those contract extensions in spring training so that they got all the news surrounding them. And that seems like a Jordan Walker thing. Yeah, and if it doesn't get done again, if it doesn't get done in season, I definitely think it is possible that it is done in spring training or before we get to spring training. Take a page out of my book, T-Bone. You amend it so that that loophole's always there so that if it doesn't get done in the second half in spring training, T-Bone can say, nailed it. When it's an eight-year, $110 million deal just underneath Corbin Carroll. You hate that, You heard it first. Oh, I would not do it at all, but... There he is. Superstar talent. the Cardinals. T-Bone says, bleep that. Give him a one-year deal every year. We'd be winning if I were in charge. I don't know about that. I'd like to general manage against you. Tanner Hendrickson's T-Bone 3... Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. We've got the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Make sure you head on over to our YouTube channel, BK and Ferrario at 101 ESPN STL, and vote on our poll because I'd love to see Tanner upset by the end of the show when we rewind it. I'm feeling pretty good on our results so far. I need you to vote yes on you want to see a reunion of Lance Lynn because uh, T-Bone hates it. And let me tell you, I love strikeouts, and that's what Lance Lynn does. our, Our listeners, our watchers on YouTube, don't let this goofball to my left. Goofball? What are we from, the 40s? Don't let him... Skew your hey, vote. Hey, buddy, don't listen to this goofball over here. He's vote. just a he's just a crazy one. See, listen to him. Vote with your heart, St. Louis. Vote with your heart on if you want Lance Lynn and his $18 million. I need you to hop, skip, and jump on over to the YouTubes and check out our poll so you can vote on this goofball and make sure he's disappointed. And, and I eh? didn't even mention his 6 ERA. 
And it's 4-8 whip or FIP if you're a FIP guy like BK. I'm Anyways, always, I'm always a FIP guy. Let's get to the junk drawer today. Guys, what do you have? I, I, I'm a little upset with Grant. I heard that. Wow. <laughs> you are upset all the time. Yeah. So it makes me great. <laughs> it, it keeps me motivated. What, why? Why? Are, Grant is a difficult person to get upset with. So why are you upset with him? You know, we were talking yesterday before as we were leaving the building uh, and we had mentioned we were talking about some restaurant with Mike Ryder, our executive producer, and I said, he mentioned a brunch place, and I said, I am not in on brunch. Breakfast Are you food? kidding me? Oh, no. It, Dude, no. brunch is the greatest thing ever breakfast, created. Breakfast food should be in the morning. There are specific things for lunch, and then there are specific things for dinner. They, we got to keep the food separated into its proper time zone. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Thank no. you. First of all, brunch is the best. Th- brunch is the start of dad jokes. Brunch is how I live my life. You just put two words together and create something legendary. A few mimosas, and uh, you're you're just you're flying. telling me that I can have French toast sticks, and I can have a pork steak. In now, now they gotta separate. <laughs> Did you see Grant's face when no. I put those two <laughs> foods together? Now the combinations are interesting. Here's the thing. But if you don't have if you have select time slots of food, you never get chicken and waffles. I don't want chicken and waffles. Are you bleeping kidding me, man? Shouldn't be a combo. That's exactly what it's my th- favorite meal outside of hot dogs. Have you, have you put waffles with it, dude? It's amazing. No, I, you put some hot sauce on the chicken I, I and some syrup on you know, some syrup on the waffles. I I I think breakfast food's overrated in general. Another bad take. That's because I, you don't eat breakfast. You drink coffee all day. Yeah. T-Bone, you're up to three bad takes in the last, what, three minutes? He's up to like 50 in this week. Look, man. You need I, to get BK back with his we, bad takes. We got to separate the foods. You know, the, the breakfast food is for the AM. So you're saying if somebody said, hey, let's look down the road, T-Bone. Let's say you okay. find yourself a beautiful wife, Great. Mrs. Hendrickson, and she, you come home from a long day of work, grinding it out on the radio with your awful takes, and she says, baby... I made you French toast and eggs with bacon for dinner tonight. And you're going to look at her in the eyes and say, that's disgusting. I don't want it. The fact that she married me, I would change my tone because I'd go, I'm one lucky, you know what? And I would say, wow, I'm so excited for this for dinner. But you know what? In my my heart of hearts, I'm going, what the bleep just happened? That's for breakfast. This ain't breakfast. This is dinner. Let's grill a steak. A relationship built on lies. (laughs) A relationship built on lies. That's terrible, man. Foundation for life. The whole reason is to have the flexibility of eat whatever you want. No, Sometimes no. I love me some pizza in the morning for breakfast. Thank you. I used to do that in college all the time. That was my life in oh. college. A breakfast pizza. Yeah, it's called pizza. There's a separator, I think. The, no, no, no. You cannot bring into this conversation breakfast pizza. That's mixing two foods. That's a mixing whole different dinner topic. with breakfast. Breakfast pizza is phenomenal, but... I see. I'm not in on that. It's just, it's just bacon and cheese, yeah. and then you put eggs on it. That's disgusting. Yeah, gross. Okay, what do you put now on you're breakfast? wrong. What do you put on breakfast? Now a bad take by What's you. What's on breakfast pizza? It's like a cheese sauce. It's eggs. You could do either uh, sausage or bacon. Disgusting. See, this is different. That, that belongs in not, the breakfast zone. It's not like red sauce. It's not like a traditional pizza. Yeah. It's it's bread and cheese and eggs. There, it's no That's different disgusting. than a biscuit, just in a different Yeah, but I don't want eggs on form. my pizza. All right, now see, now you're pushing me out of this conversation. So would you not do a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit? Yeah, but that's not pizza. But it's basically the same thing. <laughs> no, it's not. You've got the the I crust, which is like bread. That, yeah, but it's it, you've a, got the cheese sauce, and then you've got sausage and egg. It's the, it's all the same no, thing, a just in a different sandwich. form. Man, you are getting angry. You are making no sense. 
There needs to be a separator. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, man. I came into the segment thinking he was dumb. You you might yeah. have swayed me on the other way now. We've uh, we've switched positions here because it's weird because like breakfast for dinner is great. Dinner for breakfast is great. But then there's that like minutia in the middle where like you just don't want to mix and match in the middle with it all. You know? Wait, say that again. So dinner like, for breakfast. Dinner is for great? breakfast is great. Like oh, pizza no. for breakfast. No. Steak no, and eggs. That's no. awesome for breakfast. It just depends what I'm in the mood for. Well, I, and then and then come Waffle House where we're at night and you're. It don't matter. Needing whatever they got. That's where there you are just no mix laws it. there. It's like the airport with <laughs> drinking. Poor chilies. You just go and figure out what happens the rest of the way. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Tanner and I might yell at each other in this segment, what which is sometimes next? great radio. Who exits their retool faster? Doug Armstrong in the Blues or John Mozeliak in the Cardinals? We'll discuss that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There was nothing Doug Armstrong could do. He tried, but there's really nothing he could do with the defense. He's got to roll out that same defensive group a year from now. You've got those contracts. Falk, Krug, Pareko, Letty. There's nothing you can do. Nope, you're married to that right now. So your biggest weakness you're married to, if you're the Blues. With Mo, he's got a lot. He he has to, he's got to make more moves in order to fix things. But he's not tied to anybody. Outside, no, in fact, outside he's got of, a wide open. He's got a blank canvas. slate almost. Mm-hmm. Given the circumstances and the situation, I actually think Mo could could lead a quicker turnaround. So that was Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers from the fast lane yesterday talking about who can get their team out of the retool faster. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. There's three things that I think I know I can piss T-Bone off with just saying. Hot dogs are disgusting. Concerts are phenomenal. And Doug Armstrong is in a better position with his team than John Mozeliak and the Cardinals. And the only reason, I I view both of these teams in a retool, although Jim Bowden in his piece called it a revamp, and we talked about that earlier. Honestly, I think that's a much better phrase to label the Cardinals as for this upcoming season. Because beyond 2024, if you can't revamp it, now you're entering a retool. But the Cardinals do seem to be in that gray area of a retool. Of First, we got to build our team back into a team that can make the playoffs, and then once we make the playoffs, now we're talking about building that team to be a competitive World Series champion. And that's where both sides are at right now. The Blues, the Cardinals, going into this upcoming season is, how do we make our team a playoff contender? And then beyond that, when do we take that next step out of it? And if I'm looking at two sides... I'm going to lean to the side more of the general manager who has shown the ability to be aggressive and make the right moves to get your team out of that. And what I mean by that is you were in the middle of a revamp when you went into that 2018 offseason. And Doug Armstrong knew that the pieces were in place. He went out, was aggressive, and got Ryan O'Reilly and Tyler Bozak. We all know the rest. And you went on, even though that team sucked at the beginning. And then you look at where they were the following years. They brought in the Brandon Sods. They brought in the uh, Pavel Buchnevichs. Sure, they made the wrong decision with the Alex Petrangelo and Tori Krug, but he's been aggressive. And when I look at John Mozeliak and this Cardinals team, I'm hearing all the right things. He's being honest, but I haven't seen it yet. And that's to Anthony Stalter's point, you're not tied to anything. You've got an open frame to do whatever you want to make your team better. 
when I see it, I'll start believing it. And that's where I differ and why I would lean a little bit more towards the Blues finding a way out of this retool faster. Yeah, and I, I side on the side of the Cardinals because I think it is kind of easier for them to do it because of what Stoltz said in that cut to where they're going to get a fresh start with this pitching staff in the offseason. And I think they're when they come out and say our model is changing and after having this disappointing of the year, I expect the Cardinals to be more aggressive and not kind of sticking with the status quo and banking on them being able to win the division because the division is getting better. So I think the Cardinals are the team that can exit this retool quicker because of what the rotation being open. If the Blues had three defensemen coming off the books in coming into this season, I probably would have said Doug Armstrong, but they don't. They're stuck on the contracts that Doug Armstrong signed those guys too, so it's tougher for him to move contracts. So I, I look at it, and I think the Cardinals are in like the – there's no perfect – like there's never a great time to say hey, we're entering a revamp or a retool or a rebuild – but they're kind of in that spot right now because they have contracts coming off the books. They're able to deal them like the Blues are able to deal O'Reilly and Tarasenko at last year's deadline, gain assets, and then be able to spend to try and get starting pitchers that can come in at a higher level or trade for them because they have a good kind of prospect group grouping in their minor league system. So I, I, I think both end up getting out of it. I think both end up seeing their retools through. I just think it is Mo that's going to be the one that can get through it quicker because I think he can do it this offseason where, as in Army's case, I don't think they're a playoff team next year, and I think it's going to take him next season before he can potentially get them out of this retool. Yeah, and the the cap rising makes things a little bit yeah. more interesting, and then that just comes down to the Cardinals and their willingness to spend a certain amount of money. But the 314 poses a, a interesting point. It says the Blues have a bit of everything except that bad or that really good defenseman. I almost put myself in a bad position there. Therefore, they're solid. The Cardinals are full of 15 to 20 what-ifs, including their starting nine. Here's the, If you look at the Blues, they've got their core. The Cardinals have their core. You've got the talent in place. The question on the Blues' defense is the exact same question on the starting pitching or the pitching overall for the Cardinals. And you're right, T-Bone. The Cardinals have the ability to get out of it faster. The Blues don't. But I also trust the Blues more in the sense of identifying the right pieces that can help that brand rather than the Cardinals have an open field, but they always seem to go into that open field with, we isolate it with this one piece and that's not the right piece. See, I I don't know about that because you said, what'd you say? Identifying the right kind of players for that system. I mean, they identified this defensive core and locked it all up and got stuck with it. So, and look, I'm not saying Army's bad GM. I think Army's one of the best GMs in the national hockey league, but I mean, if we're going to get flaws for Mo and talent evaluation and bad contract signings, I also think I mean, that's, it's kind of trending that way for Doug Armstrong in this defensive in, in this blue line for St. Louis. I also think some of that blue line is underperforming for individual players, and I don't know if I could say that same thing for the players that the Cardinals targeted. I mean, I would say that like Stephen Matz has always been this I mean, guy. No, we, he's been better than this. Like, he's not a guy that got removed from a rotation early in his career with the Mets. He's underperformed. Like. I think it's the same conversation. I think it is just with Army. Everybody just kind of overlooks it because he recently won a cup. But you also have to kind of give – you've got to make sure you look at Armstrong too and go, okay, well, he got them locked into these deals with this blue line. So I – and also, like, I understand what people are saying. Well, look at the Blues. I think they're in a good spot. They've got the they got the forward group that's deep there. Well, that's the Cardinals' offense. Like, the Cardinals' offense is a good offense. And I actually think they can fix the rotation in an offseason because they've got contracts coming off the books. And I know a lot of people will go, there's all those what-ifs. I think they know what the outfield is going to be next year. I think it's going to be Walker, Edmund, and Newpar. 
And I, you can have some question marks there. Does that answer the question? I was just going to say, I don't know if that answers your questions, though, in the outfield. I think you still I have think, what I think ifs. that will be the that will be a what if that will remain. But I think the bullpen they can revamp in an offseason. I know people look at the bullpen and go, oh, they're going to have to fix it. It's going to take multiple offseasons. I've seen teams fix bullpens in an offseason, so I'm not concerned about that. I think they're they're very similar to each other. I, I just think because of recent track record with Mo and high the high expectations on Mo, I, I think people kind of look at him and blame him more than Doug Armstrong. And I don't know if that's completely. Fair. I think Mo can get them out of this next year. I think they can win the NL Central next year. Now, again, they're going to have to make the right moves, and if they mess up, they can really start to take steps backwards. But I think they can get out of it in 2024. So this poses another really interesting question because, look, although I would side more towards the Blues, John Mozeliak does get an awful lot of heat for maybe not as much that's actually warranted, if that makes sense. When you look at the Cardinals and John Mozeliak, you say, well, Mo can't get that done. Or Mo doesn't have the ability to be that aggressive. Or Mo, Mo's not that bold to make that move. Is there a move that changes that statement? Because as much as I can say Doug Armstrong's always bold, he goes after Buchnevich, he goes after um, Brandon Saad. You know, he'll sign guys in free agency if he feels like it's right. Paul Stastny, when they did that, he makes the big trades, the Ryan O'Reilly moves. Mo's done that also. Like He does, although he picks the wrong players, sign a Wilson Contreras. He does trade for a Paul Goldschmidt. He does trade for a Nolan Arenado, but it just doesn't get the same feel. So when you're looking at the two, I think this offseason is an opportunity for John Mosellock to put his name in the same ilk as Doug Armstrong in terms of being bold, but I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, I, I think the way he kind of changes the narrative around him is he doesn't have a pop gun offseason and he hits in the offseason one guy and then say yeah. we're done because he has me to your point he has went out there and gotten some of the top guys on the market before dexter fowler is one of the top outfitters when they Leak. signed him uh leak was like in that second tier right there he in was that one of the class. best available but he was one of the best innings eaters in that class uh he's traded for goldschmidt in arenado he signed wills Contreras, as you just said so like he's done big moves that we've seen army make his just haven't ended up working out those free agent and those contracts didn't pan out I think the way he can kind of change the narrative around him is I think it's it's twofold. One, it's not the pop gun offseason where it's just one move and you're done, which they can't even do if they wanted to sell themselves on it because then they wouldn't improve all that much. And they end up hitting on their free agent deals. But I also think it is also tied to winning because that is the big key for Army. Army won the Stanley Cup recently, and that is still in the memory of people. We're not even five years out from that. I'm not saying Moss won a World Series next year, but I think he has to see some playoff success next year. And I'm not even, I'm not even saying like, win the NLCS and get to the World Series, I'm saying just escape the wild card round. And I think the Cardinals could build a team that can get into the playoffs and then anything can happen in a three-game set. So I think that's kind of the two things that need to happen for the narrative to really change around Mo this this offseason, but it's also kind of tied into results into next year. For for the narrative to change for me with John Mozeliak is I don't want to be making that statement. Get into the playoffs and anything can happen. Build your roster so that when you get to the playoffs, you're looking at it as that team's going to be tough to play against. What they were supposed to be this year, because at the beginning of the season, who was it? It was Kevin Gossman that basically said, I don't know how you pitch through this offense, but you didn't build your pitching staff to be strong enough like your offense was. I don't want to hear that statement next year if you're going to get out of this of, we'll get into the playoffs and anything can happen. Maybe true. Build your team so that when you get to the playoffs, you're going to be a tough opponent. But some of that is going to have to be with revamping that bullpen. And to do that, you're going to have to sell off some pieces. And it sure sounds like that bullpen is open for business, but can they do one move that benefits them now and next season? We'll discuss next on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So the bullpen sure seems like it is open for business for the Cardinals, and rightfully so. The Cardinals should be open for business come August 1st, but we talk a lot about Montgomery and Flaherty, but we really should be talking more about their bullpen pieces because they've got a lot of them that other teams could covet. And we all know how trade deadlines go, right? You get a couple of the top end starting pitchers that everybody targets, but then it gets to the bullpen arms because how baseball trends T-Bone is you build a really dominant bullpen for a playoff run. The Cardinals have multiple pieces that could either be used as closers or high leverage arms for contending teams. Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, Ryan Helsley, Chris Stratton, even a Henesis Cabrera who hasn't gone well here, but that velocity, somebody sees that and says we could use that from the left side. The Cardinals, I don't even know if it's a matter of the amount of guys you're trading. It's more so packaging them with other pieces to get the best return possible. And the bullpen seems like that like extra toppings that you ask for on your non-breakfast pizza you want more of it. Yeah. So well, when it's, extra is great. There you go, Grant. So when teams call and say, hey, we want Jordan Montgomery, or hey, we need an outfield bat, great. Can I also interest you in a bullpen arm? That's how you get the best return possible. Yeah, and, and I think Jordan Hicks, you can even probably sell him off on his own because he should bring in a lot. With He's probably now one of the top bullpen arms on the market with Chapman off the board already going to Texas. But I, I'm glad to hear that they are at least open to the idea. Not saying that they have to move like a Giovanni Gallegos, who's under contract for three more years, or necessarily a Ryan Helsley, though he is hurt, saying, you know what, we're not going to listen to offers on him because we've got two more years of control. I'm glad to know that they are at least open to the idea of, hey, the right offer comes across the table. We're willing to part with one of these bullpen arms because – Yes, Stratton are going to look to move. They can probably get something from him. Jordan Hicks the same way, where you really get value when you move bullpen arms if you're not going to package them with something else, is when they've got control. I think it was that last year's deadline or two years ago, the Cubs traded away a left-handed bullpen arm to the Yankees who had like five years of control left, and they got a decent prospect in return. So guys with control are what teams are going to be looking for because they can then picture him as being a part of their bullpen, not just for this year, but for maybe two or three more postseason runs. So I'm just glad to see that the report wasn't kind of like it was with Lars Newtbar where he's untouchable. It was, hey, we're going to listen on everybody in this bullpen. You give us the right offer. We're willing to part with these guys because bullpen arms, I, we've talked about it. Bullpen arms are very uh, highly futile. Is that the word I'm looking for? I have no idea. I don't really either, to be honest. But I can Google what futile means if you'd like to see if it works in the they, sentence you're using. <laughs> they are. <laughs> bullpen arms are easy to come by. You can. We've seen it. You've got a bullpen arm that can be, look really great for one year. Look at Joe Mantiply, for example, in Arizona. Was an all-star last year. They just sent him down to the minors this year because he wasn't the same guy. So bullpen arms are very easy to replace. So you're saying find. that they're pointless. Oh, no, that's not the word. Oh, okay, I was well, for. then that's what futile means, so you shouldn't no, have used it. wasn't the right word. <laughs> Here's the thing if you go to MajorLeagueBaseball.com and you look at, and I know it's just one stat, you can look at a lot of them, but ERA when it comes to relievers, you look at the teams that are volatile. That was a word. Thank <laughs> you. It was a tile point. word. You almost got yeah. there. You look at the teams that have the chance of contending this year the Texas Rangers, the Dodgers, uh, the Marlins, who freaking came out of nowhere. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Those are the teams that you'll see being very aggressive at the trade deadline. Houston Astros. 
Those are teams that I just mentioned that are towards the bottom half of Major League Baseball and ERA for relievers. Now, we already know Texas went out there and got Aroldis Chapman. Maybe they go add a couple more complimentary pieces. But if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Marlins, if you're uh, the Angels who are competing in their division, the Diamondbacks, the Cincinnati Reds, the Giants, these are teams that are going to be calling about bullpen arms. We're open for business. We're open for business, big boy. Thank you, John Mozeliak. Those are the teams that when they call, I'm not asking about the player they want. I'm asking of what do you need? Because, yeah, sure, you need bullpen help, but you need outfield help. That's the Dodgers and the Yankees. Do you need starting pitching help? That's the Yankees right now. That's why I see this as everybody is available in my bullpen because you can re- you can reset this in the offseason. We've seen plenty of teams go out there and rebuild a bullpen solely from free agents. And let's be honest, if you're making trades with other teams with your pieces that you're getting rid of, you're bringing in prospects that could potentially be a part of that bullpen next season. But that's where I look at that and say, what else do you want? Because the more I can give you, the more I'm going to get in return. And I think those bullpen pieces are the perfect sweetener. Yeah, and that's why we've talked about it, that the Cardinals are going to be kind of that one-shop stop for everybody this deadline. Do you need someone in the outfield? Because we're listening on some of our guys. Do you need a... Uh, shortstop, we're listening on Paul DeYoung. We've got starting pitching that we're clearly shopping. You We've got, field, I got four of them. Yeah, so like they, they've got the pieces that they can shop around if they if they want to and try and raise value that they're looking to move. So that's why in my T-Bone 3 earlier, the three-bolt prediction for the second half, I, I think they're truly going to move about six pieces from this major league roster. Now, maybe not all those are kind of... Yeah, will be viewed six as selling trades, yeah. and not even six separate trades that's right but also not six separate like sell moves i would say but i i just look at them and and they're in a really good spot in terms of being able to provide whatever any contender might be looking for so with jordan hicks because that's going to be the one that everybody's talking about he's also a useful piece for this cardinals team as we've seen he's got swing and missed stuff you used him as a closer when he's not throwing the ball over the first baseman's head and into the stands to ruin the game you need to trade him regardless but do you try and pull the Aroldis Chapman move that the Yankees did in 2016 where you you get the biggest return possible and make the trade for a desperate team and then bring him back in the offseason? And it's not just baseball. I mean, sports does this, where you trade a guy away and then you talk to him. The Blues did it with Keith Kachuk when they sent him to the Atlanta Thrashers. That's the thing that makes the most sense for the Cardinals. The problem is, yeah, you should be open to it, but is Jordan Hicks going to be open to it? Because what you don't want to do is plan for that, and Jordan Hicks falls in love with where he's at and stays, because then you're left with nothing. You have to have the proper moves in place if you're going to try and handle that, because if you don't get Hicks, now what does your bullpen look like? Yeah, and I I think when you look at Jordan Hicks, I I don't know if I would necessarily try to re-sign him in the offseason, but I think you can have the conversation with him of, hey, we're going to ship you away. What do you think you're going to be looking for in the offseason? And if he says like a four-year deal, then I would go, oh, well, okay, well, it's good to have you here in yeah, St. Louis. Thanks for talking, Jordan. We appreciate but it and enjoy where you're headed. It definitely is a conversation. I think it's the same with Jordan Montgomery. I think they need to have the conversation with him as well of, look, we're going to trade you. No hard feelings. We're just in a spot where we've got to regain some assets. And we'd be open to having at least a conversation in the offseason of what would it look like to bring you back? Because I think with Hicks... Again, I I tend to lean on the side of let him walk in free agency, but he's been so electric, and you can see why the Cardinals decided not to DFA him early in the year, and it's because of what he's doing right now. So I think it's on the table, but I don't think if, like, if you told me to put, like, a percentage chance on the Cardinals trading Hicks and re-signing him, I'd put it, like, 
ten percent. I was gonna say I'd have it. It less would be than 10%. it would be very low. Like yeah. I I don't see it, but I do think again it is worth having the quick conversation of okay, what would it take to bring you back? We just trade you. We got something back in return. What do you think you're gonna look for in the free agent market? And if it is something that's out of their price range, then okay. But at least have that conversation. It doesn't hurt to have that conversation. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we've got one's got to go. You send us the scenarios. We will tell you which one has to go. Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. And we'll have a special guest join us for One's Got to Go next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. our air comfort service text line on our youtube channel at 101 espn stl click on the bk and ferrario link it's everybody's favorite time of the week on our bk and ferrario show it is one's got to go where you send us the scenario and we'll tell you which one has to go but we're gonna spice this one up on fridays we're gonna make it a little bit more interesting so if you're listening right now pull over on the side of the road get that youtube channel page up because we have a special guest joining us for one's gotta go ladies and gentlemen it is new daddy bk welcome back brandon kylie or should i call you daddy brandon kylie do you like daddy are you called daddy a lot these days all the time, Alex, but not specifically from you, typically. Yeah. This is wonderful to be back. It's good to be talking with you guys, and I would prefer for you to just call me Daddy from now on. I was uh, just going to say... You don't, have to, you don't have to have Daddy BK or anything. Just Daddy. <laughs> Daddy's fine. I was just going to say, can, can you and I make an agreement now that we both call each other Daddy and T-Bone has to address both of us as Daddy Kylie and Daddy Ferrario? No, I will not be calling okay. you Daddy, but yeah, if you, you would will. like to be addressing me as such, I would be happy to I, I'm really uncomfortable now. <laughs> How's life, buddy? How's the how's the the missus? How's Luca? How are you? Uh, so Luca's doing well. He pees and poops a lot. Uh, Amen to that. Out that's kind of the way that this goes, apparently. Yeah. Um, the missus is doing very well. We have changed his outfit. I want to say eight times in the last <laughs> seventeen or so hours. He loves to do like. I'm going to call it a, a rainbow spray where he just sprays himself with his own pee. Tough. Uh, yeah. Not really sure why. Just kind of a thing that he has decided that he's going to start to do. So that that's kind of the way that things are going. Things well, are going well. Well, look, everybody's going to have to figure out how to use that at some point. And uh, sometimes you don't. <laughs> sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, though, um, the, the changing of the outfit is more from vomit or is it more because of bodily fluids? No. Yeah, no, it's purely pee. Are uh, you putting he, he the diaper on wrong? <laughs> no, he he likes to pee when the diaper is coming off before the next one goes on. <laughs> so we, yesterday, we were in the middle of a diaper change, and uh, he had peed, and now it's time, while he's getting his diaper changed, to go with the number two. And so we had the second one going on, and he goes number two, and then we go ahead and change that one, and now it's time to go number one again. So we got four diapers in, and finally we got the clean one on him. Boy, 
let me tell you, you're about to go through boxes of diapers in these first couple of months, my man. Uh, but how how does it feel to be a dad? Is it is it exciting? Is it uh, a little stressful? It's the best thing in the world, dude. Yeah. Uh, people tell you like you're not going to be able to understand it until it happens, and it's just true. You yeah. know, um, it's it, it's unlike it's indescribable. It's unlike anything that I've ever experienced before. Um, he comes out and you immediately have this love and appreciation for him unlike anything else you've ever had in your entire life. I will say this, Alex. You prepared me in a way that made it sound so much worse than it actually is. <laughs> That's so, good. That's good. So that has really helped me. It's it's kind of like when you go into a movie, right? You um, If you have like too high of expectations for that movie, like this was for me with Black Panther. Black Panther, objectively great movie. But I went into it with people telling me that it's the greatest movie in the history of cinema. Of cinema. Same. And so when I got there, I was like, oh, yeah, it was, it was a really good movie. <laughs> and it was, like, underwhelming for me, despite the fact that I would say it's, like, an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. When Alex told me about fatherhood, I thought I was going to wake up in the morning and just dread the fact that I had an hour of sleep. That's not how it is. I've been getting a little bit of sleep, enough to where I feel like a functioning human being so far. So knock on wood, fingers crossed that that continues, but Alex made it seem like... Alex made it seem like it was awful, and it is awful. That's probably what he said there. I'm sure we'll have BK with us throughout all of this. I'll say this. I think he had to go change the diaper Dude, right probably, there. Probably somebody peed, and he had to figure yeah. out how to get that one fixed. Are you, you there, got BK? Me? Yeah, we got you, buddy. Okay, sorry. Alex made it seem like it was the worst thing in the world, and it's not. That's what I was trying to get I, I, to there. Look, yeah, you're right, Alex. That was what he's gonna say. Give it a little bit of time. Give it a little. I bit just want to point buddy. out too in the group text, BK is still answering text past ten o'clock with a one week old. Yeah, I was too because the no, kid was up not. past ten o'clock. Now I don't because I go to bed at ten o'clock. No. Look, False. when the kid sleeps, you sleep. That's how life works, and BK is living that right now. But it's great to know that you're feeling well, buddy, that you're getting the rest, and uh, baby Luca and mommy are doing well. So let's do a little One's Gotta Go because we want you to. We wanted you back on and get you a part of this before next week when you're back officially with it. us. So let's start on this one. One's Gotta Go Baby Edition. Changing a diaper, feeding in the middle of the night, Changing clothes, because that is just a freaking nightmare. And we'll leave it at those three, because I can't come up with any better. Tanner, would you uh, like to start? Oh. You want me to start no, without BK, the No, BK, of course we're going to start. Jeez. Yeah, changing diapers really not, is, isn't that bad, man. Like, it's it's not the most enjoyable thing in the world, oh. but it's not that bad. Wait till they the... pack more poop in that diaper. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, <laughs> what, seven days in. We're officially one weekend now. Um... <laughs> I, the the middle of the night feedings are tough because yeah. they just take a while. There's nothing wrong with them inherently. It, they just take longer than yep. the rest of them. Somebody on the text line said fingernail clipping. You could add into that. Oh, so I his don't finger, do that. I didn't know this, but they like they build into the skin mm -hmm. when they're newborns. And so what we I haven't clipped his fingernails just yet, so I, I can't speak to that one. But it's definitely the the midnight feeding that is the worst on these. Yeah, the the fingernails I just don't do. I let my wife do. But yeah, those middle of the night feedings to me were awful because one, you're half asleep. Two, you're trying to make sure that yeah. they eat all of it. And three, 
you're trying to find some way to not drift off while you're sitting there and then hoping that he goes back to sleep. So, yeah, you're absolutely right on that one. All right, one's got to go. Now we can involve Tanner and uh, Grant on this one. I feel kind of left out on that one. Sorry, buddy. You'll get there maybe one day. Maybe. One's got to go. T-Bone, my son's going to be your size in about three weeks. So don't worry, buddy. (laughs) And age. We'll be able to compare them. And age in three weeks. One's got to go. Unhealthy snack edition. Twinkies, ding-dongs, zebra cakes, or those mini donuts. T-Bone, we'll start with you. I'd say a Twinkie. I'm not that big on the Twinkie, but I would have it if it's the only thing I could find. But to me, the Twinkie's got to go. I don't I don't know about you, Grant, but the Twinkie's got to go for me. Yeah, I would say the Twinkie's got to go. I, I don't really care about those much. And the other three are just, in my opinion, so much better. I hate both of I can't, so much. I can't remember the last time I had a Twinkie. BK, please write this ship. So I, I'm, I'm actually going to go with them, but I will add an addendum to this. Fried Twinkies are excellent. Fried Twinkies are really good. Too much. The regular Twinkie, though? Nah, man, I don't need that. <laughs> why, we, why we gotta fry everything? You guys are dumb. The Twinkies are the goats of all of this. You know what? You know what survives a neutral or nuclear holocaust? Twinkies. So I should want to eat yes, them? Yes, oh, absolutely. Those are the best in all of these. Frankly, the donuts have to go. Why oh, do no. I want a mini donut when I can have a big donut? If I can have a big donut. I'll be a little bit happier on that one. So many donuts have to go. Terrible take by you. Let's go with this one. One's got to go Jordan edition. Jordan Walker, Jordan Hicks, Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Bennington. T-Bone? What about Jordan Cairo? There's only four grand. Sorry, like, you don't down. get five, and we don't get rid of him. Now you don't get the vote, and the one's yeah. got to go. Now you're not allowed on the Jordan one. My T-Bone? Uh, oh, man. this is. I would say probably... Oh, boy. I'm not going to get rid of Bennington because otherwise you got a rookie goaltender. I'm not going to get rid of Walker because he's the future star of the St. Louis Cardinals if he's not already putting himself in that category. I would say Jordan Hicks is the one that's got to go because though Monty will be dealt at the deadline, at least he's been your most reliable arm. So if you kept him, I could get it. Uh, But Jordan Hicks capitalized while it's hot. So I I would say Jordan Hicks is the one that's got to go. BK? Hicks, it's a very clear, it, he's the easiest position to replace. With Montgomery, he's a legit number two or three starter for you. We've seen how difficult that is to find. Uh, with Bennington, I think he's one of the main reasons that we think that the Blues can turn this around so quickly. We've seen it in the postseason. If you've got a goalie that can stand on his head, you've got a chance to be able to go far. Hicks is the one that is the easiest to replace. You can find guys at the back end of your bullpen, even though they're not going to be throwing 103 or 104 miles per hour. So Hicks would be the answer for me. Grant? Yeah, you can find players to airmail the ball over the first baseman. <laughs> God, you and I spent too much time together. That was going to be my comment. <laughs> I can't believe hey, you. We spent 82 yeah. games yeah. together. We uh, we can read each other's mind at this point. You can find plenty of guys in free agency that could throw the ball into the second <laughs> seedings of Mar- uh, Marlin Stadium there. So yeah, Jordan Hicks obviously has to go on this one. All right, let's... I missed the right week, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, you did, my man. Boy, you missed the perfect week. Yeah, screw you, BK. Yeah. By the way, uh, you got to send my wife a, a text to apologize. We didn't go to Michigan on her birthday, so that's on you guys. Yeah. Uh, text, uh, text Luca. You can let him know why. All right. Uh, give me his phone number. I'll hook that one up. One's got to go French fry edition. Curly fries, waffle fries, crinkle cut fries, or shoestring fries. I'm assuming shoestring fries are like the steak and shake kind. Yeah. Like the thin thin ones. BK, start start us off with this one. French fry edition. I've had an epiphany recently, guys. I don't think I like waffle fries. 
Well, oh, that's a good opinion. I think I'm out on waffle fries. Yeah, they're disgusting. They're just too big. They don't get crispy enough often enough. They, though that would be my answer. It, it's the lack of crispiness to the waffle fry. BK, it sounds like you're just not doing them right. Man, did you yeah. get intelligent in your week off while you didn't do this show? <laughs> Because that's a genius take. Waffle fries are always disgusting. I want my fries crispy. I don't want that soft, weird potato-y middle. That's not true because when I was in college at Hofstra, they had the best waffle fries. Yeah, it, changed, waffle fries. it changed my view on waffle fries. I agree most of them aren't that good, but I think crinkle-cut fries are kind of like that, where like the middle is just so soft and mushy that I, I'm just not interested in them. I think I would go with... I would say shoestring because they're just so small. What? So small. I like a big, yeah. nice those size French the, fry. Those are the best out of oh, all no, of these. No. I would say shoestring's got to go, but like, let's just be honest. I wouldn't turn out a French fry. Bad so. take count. We're up to, what, four? Yeah. BK, Five. I don't know if you heard our breakfast, lunch, uh, dinner dilemma on the junk drawer, but T-Bone has a awful take. Yeah. Breakfast food should be separated from lunch and dinner. It should just be for the morning. We don't need brunch. We don't need Brenner or whatever it would be called. <laughs> Brenner? We don't need that. T-Bone, what time do you wake up on the weekend? <laughs> At 11. <laughs> Jesus. So what would you call your breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I go straight to my lunch. Oh, or God. brunch. I go to my sandwich or my salad. Like, I don't need. I don't you need eat a, like, so you wake up <laughs> you at 11 and you're like, you know what I want? I want a salad. No, no, I don't. I'm not eating at 11. I'm eating at like noon. I got an hour until I'm so ready for my lunch. So what do you do lunch. for that hour? Just Not sit eat, there just and wonder why the coffee. hell you slept so late? Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm re- for, I am rejuvenating because I stay up and get up early on weekdays. <laughs> Do you eat breakfast during the week? No, not that often. Okay, well, then you just hate breakfast. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is a you problem. This isn't a breakfast or a brunch God, or a Brita or anything. This is a you problem. I shouldn't have to go someplace and... and uh, a family member go, we're having brunch. No, we're not. We're having lunch. <laughs> Alec... Uh, you know what I? You know what brunch is good for, T-Bone? Is people like you because you don't have to then yeah. eat any of the breakfast items. It's true. You can have what you want, which is lunch, and your aunt, uncle, or Mima no. can have their breakfast. God, that's just wrong. BK, I can't wait to have you back next week, buddy. One more, <laughs> one more before we wrap. One's got to go. Annoying errands edition. Grocery shopping, filling up gas, going to the bank, going to the post office, going to the post office. A hundred percent. Who goes to the <laughs> post office? You know why? <laughs> okay, so at my house, we don't have a mailbox. We have a P.O. box. So all of gotcha. our packages, a lot uh, of the times, sense. will go to the post okay. office. They're open for about 45 minutes the entire day. Yeah. I go, they're either on lunch or they're done at 430. It's like, what the hell do you guys even do? That sounds about right. Sleeper so, pick yeah, for this is the bank. The bank oh, is yeah, a sleeper pick here. I agree. I, I would probably go with that one. Now, if you're going ATM, like obviously that that's not a big problem. When you're going to the bank and you're going inside... You should just assume that you're going to be spending the next 30 minutes of your life standing in that line. It's like the DMV. For no reason. I See, I would say grocery shopping because it takes the most time out of all of Oh, these. I love grocery shopping. Just I not when I have too. to go with my kids. Well, you, you're listening to music. I'm not jamming to an album while I'm grocery Sounds shopping. Like you need to make gro- not? Sounds like you need to make grocery shopping more entertaining. Oh, well, apparently huh. I'm doing it wrong. Maybe well, that's why. All of us have different answers on this because filling up gas is the most annoying out of all no. of these. Really? I, I wait until it's on E and then I forget to do it. And then I wake up in the morning before I go to work. I'm like, son of a, I didn't get gas and I need to go get it. But that's not hard at all. You literally put a card in, pull the pump. It's and not put asking it in, hard. It's, hard. it's asking annoying. And if I'm driving to work, I don't want to have to pull over and do gas. I can't imagine that being annoying. It's very annoying. No, I like getting gas and then like while it's filling up, going inside, yeah. getting a little snack a little or a drink or something. Because Tanner wants Coffee. to go on road trips and be like, man, let's go sit down for dinner. I want to enjoy our road trip. Again, that was ridiculous. <laughs> we got to the hotel just so you could go to bed. BK, we 
We miss you, buddy. It's great seeing you. It's great hearing you, man. So happy for you and Kara and baby Luca. So enjoy the weekend. Thanks for swinging by for a little bit, and we will talk to you on Monday as you're back with us via uh, the uh, link on your computer from home. do you guys think the Cardinals trade for Lance Lynn this weekend or next weekend? I really hope they trade for him Like wanna, when we get off the air. I want to point out that our smart watchers on YouTube on our poll, would you like to see Cardinals acquire Lance Lynn at this year's trade deadline? 68% said no, so I'm going to go with Yeah, because acquired. you've convinced them yeah. that they're getting Lucas Giolito and Aaron Nola and Logan and Dylan Stees. Also, like, also known as talent. Okay, got it. Enjoy the prospects that you no longer have. BK, okay. he wants swing and miss stuff, but he doesn't want the guy who's got like one of the best swing and miss stuff right no, now because he's 36 years old no, and he's it's old. Him and Wayno have like the same ERA. But yet this bleeping guy keeps telling me he wants James Paxton who can't stay healthy for more than half of a season. Yeah. yeah. BK. He, he wants he wants the ghost of Yeah. Oh, such a bad take he got he got knocked off the air link. You That's still there right. BK? We lost you, buddy. If you're here, I got to go to break. We can't wait to have you back next week, buddy. Enjoy the weekend. We'll come back and rewind it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Opportunity to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals and Marlins. It's next week against the Marlins, and it features a limited edition Brad Thompson bobblehead. So if you are a texter 101 on our Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646, it can tell us what is the name of baby Kylie Texter 101, name baby Kylie. You get the four-pack of tickets to see Cardinals and Marlins and the BT bobblehead. You can get all the details on the season series of Budweiser Bash Cardinals games now at cardinals.com slash promotions. Wrapping things up with our Rewind, Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis. Been a great show today, great show this week. If you missed anything, check it out on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's wrap it up where we started and really kind of looking at the second half when it comes to the outfielders. From Derek Gould's reporting, sounds like the Cardinals do not want to move Lars Newpar. That means that the Dylan Carlsons could be available. That means that maybe Tyler O'Neill is gaining some interest on the trade market. Regardless, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the outfield construction from now until August 1st. Do they recall, recall, hockey term, do they promote Tyler O'Neill after his rehab stint in Memphis? And is he playing? Is Carlson and Newpar out there on a daily basis? And what happens with Jordan Walker? That is going to be, to me, one of the top storylines from now until August 1st. Yeah, I think right off the bat, you're going to see Walker playing either left or right all the remainder of the year. I don't think he's going to be DHing anymore. You can now specifically develop him in the outfield and his defense. 
What I will be interested to see is what happens when Tommy Edmond gets back. My assumption is he's going to be the center fielder because I think it sounds like they're going into 2024 planning on him being the everyday center fielder. And you're going to have five guys that you're trying to figure out how you're you six. Yeah, five trying to figure out how you're going to use them. I, I don't think they are going to have to try and figure it out because I think they're going to move them. I think they're going to move Carlson at the deadline. I think they're going to move O'Neill at the deadline. But don't you have to play them before the deadline? Because otherwise, I, don't think so. I, I mean, especially O'Neal, Tyler O'Neill. But I, I think, right, let's just be honest right now, the O'Neill move is more of just he needs a fresh start. We're looking for a fresh start from that spot. So let's move O'Neal. Carlson sounds like still has some value across Major League Baseball. I mean, you just heard Keith Law. If you missed our interview with him, you can check that on the podcast page as well, where he said about Dylan Carlson, quote, I think the breakout is coming. So there are still people across Major League Baseball that seem to think that Dylan Carlson's got value. I think the outfield is going to be pretty much set for post-deadline and past uh, this just past this season as well. I think next year's outfield, and you'll see it in the second half here, is going to be some configuration of Walker, Newport, and Tommy Edmond. I think that's what the outfield is going to look like. Before we go, between now and August 1st, what do you think the three outfield starters, who plays the most out of the three outfield starters from now until August 1st? I think it's the three I said. I think it's Newport, Edmond, and Walker. I think those three wow. are playing the most. Now, you said, do you have to play those guys like Carlson and um, O'Neal when they come back? They can try and get them at bats at the DH spot would be my guess. Or like when DeYoung needs a day off, you can move Edmund back to short and move somebody else into the outfield. But I think that I think that outfield is set. It sounds like they don't want to part with Lars Newpar. Whether you agree with that or not, I wouldn't make him a untouchable piece. I would. It would take a lot to move him, but he's not untouchable to me. Um, and I also look at the outfield as well, and I say, okay, so if Newpar is going to be an everyday guy, we know Walker is, and it certainly sounds like Edmund's not that guy. I think they've got their outfield figured out for at least next year. At least that's what their plan is. We'll see if it changes depending on how the second half goes. But I think that is what it's going to be in the second half and in 2024 when they start the season. So that's going to be fascinating to see how they go about using that um, because I, I for one, think Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill are going to get at-bats. And even if it's at the DH spot, how are you making that work if you're going to start trying to get more at-bats for Yvonne Herrera if he's going to be a contributor until Andrew Kisner comes back? Going to be a lot of storylines to discuss in the second half or unofficial second half of the season starts tonight. The fast lane coming up next. Dan McLaughlin filling in for Jamie Rivers. Anthony Stalter, they've got you on the fast lane. Huge shout out to Grant Francis, who has helped us out this week. BK will be back with us next week. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday for BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.